Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. listeners and welcome to another episode of the losers club a stephen king podcast i'm your host for today michael rainbird roffman here in hell (laughs) where the only thing keeping the lights on are all your hot takes and that's about as lazy as a seg as they come but i'll take it yes we're talking hot takes today specifically stephen king hot takes and what i'd like to call our continuing series fire starters but here's the rub we've only done one of these episodes before (laughs) (laughs) Way, 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 way back in quarter one of 2019, which is almost four years ago. And you can only hear that episode if you're a member of our Patreon, The Barons. uh, The Barons. The Barons. The Barons. The Barons. Barons. Yeah, we all, it's basically like a a royal lunch. We have lady fingers and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But www.patreon.com slash The Barons. Probably the earliest plug I've ever done in a podcast. Um, and that's basically where the patrons get the keys to our exclusive archive within the Dairy Private Library. So this is a pretty niche feature. So uh, maybe we could change all that today. Maybe we can make this a recurring feature again. Uh, again, as I say, because it's never <laughs> been a recurring feature. But maybe we could finally do it because, God damn it, I re-listened to that old Firestarters episode and we had fun. And I'm not talking about Nate Ruess. Andrew Doss and Jack Antonoff fun. I'm talking laughing, hollering, screaming, birthday party, cheesecake, jelly bean, boom. Fun. <laughs> and our chances are good that we're going to have fun today because our panel here is great. Now, they don't call him Blaze for nothing. Bring <laughs> fire to that fender. Randall, say hello. Hey, it's Blaze Colburn. Um, (laughs) Just Blaze being Blaze. Uh, So I wanted to ask, though, I I have a question, though, fire related. Um, Are you a Taco Bell guy? Do you go to Taco Bell? Here's the thing, Mike. I I listened to the Firestarters up again Mm -hmm. uh, from 2019. Yeah. And I was going to bring this up because I think it's imperative that we talk to Ashley and Jen about this. Which is um, the Taco Bell Congo uh, uh, the burrito. burrito. Yes. Yeah. The volcanic burrito. We talked about it extensively mm-hmm. in the last Firestarters episode, as well as people's favorite salsa flavor. Yes. So I feel like these are imperative questions that must carry through every Firestarters episode. I like episode. this idea. I like mm-hmm. this idea. Well, then I asked you, though, because I, I, I can't remember. I feel like you're, uh, you're a hot daddy. Um <laughs> <laughs> hot daddy? Yeah. You okay. like you like hot, hot you like hot food? And I'm not talking well, about funny. like, ooh, this is hot. Papa. I'm talking spicy, a spice papa. Yeah, I like that. Well, we <laughs> talked about this last episode, and I was like, I talked about how I don't like spicy food. Has it the changed? The thing is, has it has changed. I feel like my palate has evolved in these years since the last fire starters. I think now I'm a little more open to uh, you know, extra hot 
packets of Taco Bell hot sauce rather than Diablo. mild ones. They're Diablo. Diablo. I think yeah, I'm a Diablo. Black. I think it's I'm kinda... I think I'm Randall Diablo Colbert now. Holy shit. This is <laughs> yeah. a big this is a big Uh-oh. change of so when you do you, would you credit this change of your palate to um your fine dining? Because I feel like yeah. you're you're deeper in your relationship. And I know that you were t- you told me recently that Jen has certainly elevated your culinary habits. Um, yeah, she's a very good cook. I, I've become a much better cook. And I think by virtue of challenging myself more, of developing my my nascent palate uh, and putting cayenne in a lot of shit, oh, I feel yeah. like I've become. Yeah, yeah. I've built it up over these years. I don't think I'm like a hot sauce guy in the sense where like. You know, I want like pouring sauce on everything, like ass mm-hmm. blaster sauce or whatever they call it. Like <laughs> just yeah. keep it yeah. in your purse, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but I think I am uh, somebody who enjoys a bit of zing now and then. So yeah, well, I think I'm. I think I'm a lot more attuned to the Firestarter lifestyle, the Charlie McGee lifestyle, than I was back in 2019. Well, this is good. This is good news. Uh, it's always good to have an arc, you know, uh, as yeah. we learn in all this. I think I've King grown things. a lot over the course of this podcast. Primarily in in my uh, relationship to spicy foods, spicy foods, and hopefully the volcanic burrito. Which, by the way, this isn't sponsored by Taco Bell, but hey, let's make it anyway. Uh, this episode, <laughs> we got ba- Mexican pizza coming to Taco Bell. Uh, mm. It's it's back. You know, maybe, well, maybe they could bring can bring back the volcanic like, burrito, <laughs> like what? Yeah, what Rick or Morty did with the Szechuan yeah. sauce. We could do. We that need with to bring the it Congo, back. The Congo volcanic burrito. Well, what would be amazing is if if Taco Bell did unlock or bring back the volcanic burrito, and all the ads still had the clips from Congo. In it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck is this? That's so integral, I think, to the yeah. the volcanic vol- volcanic burrito Vulca- brand is Amy yeah. the Gorilla. Yeah. It needs to come back. But uh, look, speaking of hot, Nashville, Woo! the weather, the chicken, the weddings where everyone's wearing suits and dresses in 100 degree weather. I mean, mm-hmm. good golly, Miss Molly, or should I say, geez Louise, Jen. Jen, <laughs> are you a fan of uh, the hot chicken down there? Or are you kind of like, meh, I'm good? Nope, I'm good. You know, I usually when I'm eating, I don't also want to be in pain. So <laughs> I'm like, no, just give me regular chicken. There is a place down here called Party Fowl, and they have like, they'll give you a chart with all of their like, um, their spices or like how hot their sauces are. And one of them, and it's not even the hottest one, but it's like on par with pepper spray, you know? Jesus like, Christ. Yeah. It's Jeez. so hot that you can't like taste anything. Like I don't want to do that to myself, you know? Um, I do love Taco Bell though, and it is the best cure for a hangover ever. Yeah. Taco Bell and Country Time Lemonade, man. I love Country Time Lemonade, and I like to have a Country Time Lemonade, especially with a burrito, preferably volcanic. Yeah. Um, Jen, do you recall the volcanic burrito? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I don't remember this thing at all. I do remember Congo. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was it like some... Please tell me that there was like a burrito so good it'll like smash your head with two paddles or something, right? <laughs> it was, Isn't that how they that kill was, people in Congo? They, yeah. they, well, they also... Laura Linney um, of uh, mm. Truman Show fame, she has the laser gun, if you recall, and is able to laser uh, yes. the, you know, mm-hmm. the, unsus- the, the unsuspecting Do you monkeys. remember the commercial, Mike? Because you vividly oh, yeah. described it in the last episode. I, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great commercial. They have a lot of clips. One of them, which is this scene I was just describing with her and the laser gun, and then you see these giant pillars coming up and one of them is this giant um burrito and then it mm. cuts to like footage of amy it cuts to um i dylan believe walsh dylan walsh who i believe his name is david in the movie i can't remember dylan but um walsh, I remember it, it, yeah they I should just bring remember. what if david Wal- dylan walsh his comeback was being in commercials for the for, <laughs> for congo, the, he's for like, the remember congo? Yeah. yeah 
I just Man, hope I'm that a crunchy taco girl though. I don't like burritos. But you like spice? Are you the Diablo uh, fan, or are you, are you more no. hot? Mild. I don't even okay. want sauce. Mild. Okay, yeah. so you don't like hot sauce at all. Then. I don't like hot sauce at all. I don't like okay. anything to be hot. I will say I was in Nashville this past uh, summer, and it was very hot, which is why oh, yeah. I, I stressed the heat there. Um, so I was having heat pains, actually. And um, I decided to have hot pain? chicken. Eh, it's just when your like, whole body decides to you. just say fuck you to you, and you, you yeah. can't sleep at night, and you feel like you're just sweating all the time. Um, fun times. But, uh, it's Nashville style. It was like Nashville style. It, it was pretty disgusting, and I will say was not a big fan. But I, I did love seeing uh, Jen and meeting Jen for the first time. So That's right. It wasn't over hot chicken, though, although I did have hot sauce at the taco place we were at anyway we got to get last but not least <laughs> i mentioned weddings before and this is someone who could speak to weddings since she was just in one uh excuse me the bride herself keeping it weird <laughs> and come on feel the illinois uh ashley say hello and hello. tell us are you a hot sauce fan huge hot sauce fan um well, actually, I'm more of a pepper fan. I like jalapenos. I like poblanos. Mm. I like uh, all the peppers. I can eat them all. Ghost pepper? Yeah. Ghost pepper. Did you try oh, the shit. ghost pepper burger from uh, Burger King? No relation to Congo. I honestly, I have not had Burger King since ninth grade. Wow. So You're all the better for it. I got a pair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that one. I'm proud of that one. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not like a anti-fast food person. I eat McDonald's. I eat in and out. Or I used to eat. Yeah. I'm just anti-Burger yeah. King because I think it's disgusting. It is the weakest of the franchises. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say the, the the commercials are pretty weak also. I, I went to Twitter recently and, and lambasted two just poor models that were in the episode. In one of the, the commercials that um, the CTV campaign on, on Pluto has just insisted I see every fi- fucking time they go to a break. But um, I will say I do like their burgers. The ghost pepper burger, not bad. So you did say that you you were into peppers. Now, yeah. are you into the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Because mm. uh, they they bring a little bit of fire to the rock and roll <laughs> venue as well. They do. I, I don't know how, <laughs> how much like current Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah. I'm into. Um, I did meet Anthony Kiedis once on the uh, beach in oh, nice. Santa Monica. Ooh. Oh my God. What was he doing? Going out there. So I used to, when I first moved to LA, I did a lot of background work, extra work. And I was in a movie, um, an Adam Sandler movie called Ooh. Just go with it. Happy Gilmore. Just go with it. Just go with it. Oh my God, you were in that. That, that, Yeah, I saw that movie. That's actually um, one of his better films of the last 10 years. Well, I actually, I've never seen it. I just know that it was a kind of a miserable two days of filming. But we were on Santa Monica Beach and uh, Anthony Kiedis was like, there i don't he wasn't there for the movie he was just on santa monica beach and he happened to ask a couple of us what we were doing we're like oh there's an adam sandler movie and he was like adam sandler and he got excited and he went to meet adam sandler oh oh my god i love that he's just wandering around like he really was he was just sort of strolling this is a guy that's probably worth like half a billion dollars like he was probably having flashbacks to being in point break i was just gonna (laughs) oh yeah speaking of hot yeah, you know, that movie is filled with... Uh, who are you ranking in hot, as the hottest in, in Point Break? Is it going to oh, be Keanu or Patrick Gary Patrick Swayze, I think it has to be. Yeah, it's did you say Gary Busey? But yeah, I did say it. He's up there. <laughs> Boos, that was Boos a good Busey role. It's yeah. Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, and then Gary Busey. I, I always love Out the of part. frame, but still on the list, you know. Is it James LaGrosse just, is in that. James LaGrosse? Oh, yeah, he is in that. Yeah. Is it James Lori LaGrosse. Petty, the girl in oh, it? Oh, yeah. 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 That's just an all-around hot movie. you know. Lee Turgeson? 
Lee Churgeson is in that movie. movie. Yeah. Although, you know, I prefer the remake that, we're that, about that three people saw about five years ago. Um, <laughs> anyway, so what are we doing here? We're talking about Stephen King hot takes because we are a Stephen King podcast. We're not a Taco Bell podcast. And we're not a Point Break podcast, yet. sadly. Um, yet, exactly. Because mm. look, the sky's the limit with us. Um, <laughs> but look, the depths, there's no limits to our depths either. And uh, we're going to get to Brave today. And uh, because... All we're going to be doing is reading, not our hot takes, not our hot takes. We don't have any hot takes right now. Although if you have, uh, actually I'll challenge the panel here. If you can come up for the next hour or so with your own hottest take regarding Stephen King, save it for the end, save it for the end. You know, we'll rate, we'll, we'll go around at the end and see if anyone has. You made it sound like we were going to get something. Well, yeah. you're I not know. Get like, you'll get respect. You'll get respect. You, you we honestly. get a volcanic burrito. Man. Well, I will look on eBay. <laughs> I know there was this one username, uh, a guy named Dan- Dinosaur Dracula, and he uh, <laughs> posted a photo recently of him having all the Burger King burgers over the years. So maybe he has a, a volcanic burrito somewhere in there in his freezer or something. We'll, we'll ask him. Something if he's eating all those Burger King. Burgers. Yeah, I don't think he's. I, hopefully, he's. Uh, you know, fingers crossed. He's yeah. not eating those burgers. <laughs> he's I hope still not. alive. Yeah. Yes, Jesus Christ. Um, so what we're going to do is we've pulled all our Overlook patrons. This is another plug for patreon.com slash the Barons, uh, which is our Patreon account. And our Overlook patrons, uh, our most devoted of our uh, patrons, they gave us their hottest takes. Uh, some of them are so hot that, uh, let's just say I had to go to the hospital for them. And uh, I needed <laughs> to get really? some liquids. No, I didn't have to do that. Although, that was, could you imagine if I went to the hospital? I was like, excuse me, I have heat exhaustion from hot takes. Excuse me, I have someone heat told pain. me a really hot take. It's hot take. They'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Or what if I did that during the middle of COVID? That would have been good. Good bit, oh, right? Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure that wouldn't piss off anyone. Uh, so what we're going to do is... We're going to go through them all, but we're not just going to go read them like this is a bag of bones episode. No, no, no. What we did was we took all the hot takes and we voted upon them. This is a panel after all. And uh, this is the time of voting, as we've seen on every social media network. And what we did is we collated them into mild, medium, hot. Hence the discussion of the sauces from before. Look, it all comes around. It all comes around. Just like (laughs) it's cause a wheel, but so is hot. So is heat. Um, so it's hot. So we're going to start <laughs> with the mildest takes, and we'll talk about them. See what we if we agree with any of them, and uh, maybe debate why this is a mild, or later on a medium, or later on after that a hot take. I think that's pretty simple enough. Good. Mm-hmm. No good. Yeah. Okay. Can I can I give an update on the volcano burrito? Volcano yes. Burrito? Please do. Please do. <laughs> uh, it's currently available still in the UK. In the Ooh, UK, it's called wow. volcano burrito. It says, now out of production in the USA, it ran in 1995 to promote the movie Congo. And again, <laughs> from May 2009 until August 2013 in the USA, uh, it is packed with meat, rice, crunchy red strips, and lava sauce. It's pretty cool. Um, and then I found multiple YouTubers who have recreated it. Mm. Uh, so I wish that they would just bring it back every time there was a movie featuring a volcano. Or an no. ape. Yeah. Or yeah. an ape, yeah, that'd be or cool. Or Kong versus Godzilla, perfect. Yeah. And then you yeah. could have had an atomic one, and you like make it blue strips inside because that's oh. the atomic breath. There you go. You know, but they still bring back Amy and Dylan Walsh to promote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like, like the flow from the uh, the yeah, exactly. yeah. It's it, except it's like filmed and it, it's like I've been watching. Um, I've been catching up on AMC's The Walking Dead, and uh, after every episode, for some reason, even though you know we're a little bit beyond the the pandemic. 
they still have interviews with showrunners on Zoom talking about the episode. You'd <laughs> think they'd kind of like, you know, they, they, they'd go and Enough. do the interviews on, on set. But uh, I, it would just be funny if in these episodes or these commercials, um, these fictional commercials, it's Dylan Walsh like from Zoom promoting it. But <laughs> in the background, there's like a Nip Tuck poster in his room. And he's also got like a Nobody's Fool poster with him and Paul Newman. Um, be fun. Cool. Yeah, good pull. It's a good movie, too. But uh, all right, so let's start this up. We're going mild, baby. Again! No! I saw you, Mommy. I just read it. Well, you did it. You hurt your mother. I'm sorry, Mommy. It's all right. Mommy's all right. All right, Randall. Kick it off. Okay, Andrew Fabry, hopefully I'm saying that right, Fabry. Uh, this is this is a, uh, what we deemed a mild take. These are things mm-hmm. that we voted on. So we had different, we all like had different uh, votes. So I think it would be worth it if we, if we all pipe up and say, I actually called this a medium mm. uh, uh, hot take, which I did for this one. This is classified as a mild. I called it medium. Uh, and so it's. Lisey's story would have been so much better without the supernatural elements. That's Andrew Fabry. Uh, and I called that a medium hot take just because I feel like the supernatural elements are so interwoven with uh, the book. Here's the thing, though. I agree with this take. And I think I voiced that when we were doing our Lisey story episodes. The T- I wasn't yes. on the book episode, but I was on the TV episodes. And that's something I think I talked about was how compelling I found the um, this the the stalker character, the Dane DeHaan character. I was very Jindaloo, interested Jindaloo. in that. Yeah, Jim. I was very interested in that story. Thought there was like good characters in the real world, and I think I struggled most when it came to the supernatural elements that involved um, you know her late husband. And so uh, yeah, so this to me, I called it medium, though only because it is. I feel like the. I'll, I'll also say what does exist in the supernatural world that we do visit the creature there. I won't, I don't want to say too much to spoil it, but is actually a pretty awesome and, um, and effective. And so I think it's worth it for that. But I do agree that, that when I read the book, uh, especially that was when I checked out the most was all the supernatural stuff. Yeah. I think that Stephen King has, sometimes he has an issue with naming things, because wasn't mm-hmm. like the other world, like the Booyah, Booyah, Booyah Moon. Booyah Moon. Mm-hmm. And reading that was just sort of like, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I know it's not really original to call it like the other or the upside down or the, you know what I mean? Mm. Like this other dimension. But to call it like Booyah Moon was just like every time I read yeah. that. And, and he does that all the time. And like sometimes we get cute things and things that catch on like beep beep Richie and then other times we get mm-hmm. like smucking s- sweater yes. ovens and <laughs> sweater <laughs> <ovens>. baby <laughs> love exactly mm. baby love. and Booyah Moon was one of those for me where I was like you couldn't have named it something cooler I know yeah. I agree I think we I think we go off on that in the book episode don't we Jen I'm, feel like yep, we kind of I'm the pretty sure we do yeah we for a smucking long time you know yeah. <laughs> you have a, I feel like with the book episode you came around to this a little bit more though Jen right I did yeah and I and I think I I put this as mild because yeah. I do agree but mostly because I feel like the entire conceit of the book could also be accomplished if this was just memory or if she mm-hmm. was just reading it. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like the fact that Booyah Moon is supernatural, like 
it does it just doesn't feel as supernatural as something like Pet Cemetery or something like it, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like the supernatural element is really a vehicle for the story rather than a piece of the story itself. So I feel like you know, it would have been better because then we wouldn't have had all of that mystical stuff. I will say, I think watching the show, this the Booyah yeah. Moon is gorgeous. So I yeah. wouldn't want it to just be like her reading his memoir or something. But I, I agree. I, I think the the I think when we were reading it, I was saying, well, Dooley's such an interesting character, and although you know they've done something like this with Misery, obviously with Annie Wilkes, I just felt so much more grounded. And and especially modern, you know, in a way that I guess Annie Wilkes feels a little more antiquated Um, Mm -hmm. because and not and not and that's not to say anything about the character. It's just the situation of it all. I mean, she's in an old, old cabin in the middle of the mountains. Like it doesn't get more old timey than that. Whereas Jim Mm -hmm. Dooley is like he's roaming around. He's stalking the the houses. It just feels very like, I don't know, Julian Flynn or something like that. Yeah. Like very Mm -hmm. incelly like behavior, like very like only could exist in the post like Internet era. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, for me. I, I think it actually works either way, but I also put it mild because I just felt like it, it was a preference. It wasn't really, right. m- you know, mostly a statement. It was mostly just like, well, this would be a preference. And it's not like, it's very hard for a preference to be a hot take, I would feel. Um, so I felt the heat was a little low on this one. If I'm making some tea in the in, and I'm keeping the heat at where it's at, it's going to take me a little long to heat up that water. <laughs> um, speaking of water. Sometimes we call water spirits uh, because because uh, spirits can be uh, containing water. Let's talk about the next <laughs> hot take. That is the most that was labored. Sag. It was labored. <laughs> uh, Jen, go for uh, Joseph Spirits. Uh, All right, next. Joseph Spirits. I don't know if this is a hot take, but sure feels like it sometimes. I'm so tired of Pennywise the Clown imagery everywhere, especially the endless merchandise from the new films. Still love the book, and Skarsgård was a great choice for the role. I agree. That's for me. Um, I just wish they hadn't covered him in CGI gloss and then turned him into some kind of hot topic horror Mickey Mouse, which... (laughs) Just kudos for that phrase. Um, to be plastered everywhere. A cartoon superhero with a red balloon on his chest. Fun for the whole family. Just feels like it cheapens the idea of what made reading it so effective to the imagination in the first place. Side note, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror credit scene with the different artist interpretations of Krusty It was an incredible exception. I agree. That was really cool. Yeah, and I, 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 I it's something it. that we didn't really get to talk about too much on the Simpsons episode, right. but I, I did really like that too, and I thought that was probably the most haunting part of, exactly, <laughs> of, uh, yeah. of the episode. <laughs> I, I agree 100% with this. This is why I think it's a mild take, because I think a lot of people are feeling that fatigue, which is... I mean, look, I think Welcome to Dairy is going to be a success. I think it's, you know, I think anything with it and Pennywise is clearly... It hits a juggler just because it's such a ubiquitous thing. Um, but... I do think there is fatigue and I do think that it goes into the hot topic thing as he's discussed. I mean, that hits the nail on the head for me. Like that's Mm -hmm. ultimately what I feel like happened with, um, a lot of horror, uh, icons. And I mean, even down to like something, even like something like saw, like I, you know, we make fun of Billy and saw just because he's he's been such a, uh, a puppet. Um, mm-hmm. literally and metaphorically for this franchise. And I feel like Pennywise is kind of the same way. Like well, someone the Kruger, the Kruger fication, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. 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 It's MTV and, Pennywise now. And yeah. well, somebody, somebody on discord or, or no, it was in the comments for bloody disgusting article for today when they announced the showrunners and someone was like, well, 
you know, if it's not Skarsgård, um, you know, I don't know if the show's going to work. And I actually would argue the opposite. Like I'd, I'd kind of entertain like a different type of take of Pennywise for this earlier incantation. Um, just because well, I think it gives you an opportunity. Since I saw Andy Muschietti is probably directing it. Yeah. It's got, I feel like it's gotta be Skarsgård. Like, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you. It would be cool if they weren't yoking themselves to the two movies, but I think that it's inevitable that they are because everything is about IP and yeah. interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know what? I mean, when I read this, the first thing I thought about was when we interviewed Stephen King, King and yeah. we asked yeah. him, what is your relationship to Pennywise? And he kind of was like, I have no relationship to Pennywise. And, and, you know, this is something we talked about, which is just the, the image and the character and everything has been commodified and, and reinterpreted and refashioned in so many different ways that it really isn't his. And this is, this is something King readily says is that it's really not his anymore. And he's, of that yeah. damn clown will outlive me, you know, because because mm-hmm. uh, he what he recognizes is that Pennywise exists independent of the book. It now Pennywise is a cultural character, and um, and is this show is kind of the natural extension of that, which is it has nothing to do with King IP. I mean, it is King IP, but it's nothing King has written. Although I'm sure they'll pull from stuff from the book, but you know, this is a character that is now largely divorced from, I think, whatever King's initial concept of what the character was. And so, um, yeah, so I think I totally understand is that we're watching this character that is so horrific. And so, you know, we all have our own personal relationship with what we, how we envisioned Pennywise when we were watching it, whether, you know, we read it independent of the 90 miniseries or, um, cause I think I had seen the 90 miniseries by the time I read it. So I was always thinking of Tim Curry. And um, but, you know, Curry was, you know, there was something, I think, relatively simple about that portrayal or, and the makeup mm-hmm. and everything about and the it. Design. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. And the design, whereas, uh, you know, the Skarsgård, there is like so much that and I think it's, you know, it's a cool design, but the hot topic, you know, thing, I think kind of tracks. Uh, yeah. And so and I don't. Maybe it has yeah, something to do with the enlargement of the head was very reminiscent of Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Which mm-hmm. got a major hot topic treatment. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know mm-hmm. what it is about those big heads. But even when I read Stephen King, I had the cover that um, was the green little claws coming out of the yeah. mm-hmm. sewer. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I never, I mean, I did obviously picture Pennywise as the dancing clown, you know, but I, he was always so much more. So, like, clown was always. Obviously, on my mind when when you referenced it because the miniseries did exist, but yeah, the fact that Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise is—I mean, it's everywhere. It's on T-shirts. Mm-hmm. I went to a kiddie parade, and there were like eight little kid Pennywises, which boy, that lit up my heart. Um, <laughs> just knowing that tiny children are watching such a terrifying mm-hmm. movie. But they love it. Yeah, they yeah. do. I mean, it's it's. But crazy. I think along those lines too, like in the movies. Skarsgård and, and Pennywise is never far from the various iterations of Pennywise, mm-hmm. whereas I think that's the distinction you're talking about in the book is that the clown is just one manifestation. Mm-hmm. It's not the, yeah. right. it's yeah. not the spine of of of, um, of it, whatever it is in, yeah. in the book and even in the 90 miniseries when, you know, the spider shows up at the end as dumb as it looks, it's not like it has Tim Curry's face on it. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. In It Chapter 2 it's very much, um, everything is sort of connected to mm-hmm. and, and anchored by Bill Skarsgård, which is fine. I mean, that's the choice yeah. and it's certainly not a, a wrong one, but it is, um, but it does, I think, contribute to the idea of, of very expressly trying to, uh, 
turn it into a piece of iconography and uh, something that is easily identifiable and commodifiable. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's where sort of the, you know, maybe that disconnect comes from. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So I, I think I said this one was mild too. Mild, I think, yeah. I think even when King feels that way, uh, we all do, you know, I think, I think it does carry through. And, and all that said, I do definitely think the show will be very successful because, yeah. you know, killer clowns are, are very hot right now as the uh, terrifier franchise has proven. So this is very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, like, when I read this, I was thinking about, because I've just been doing a deep dive into Pinhead and Clive Barker and how, like, Clive Barker hates Pinhead, and just thinking about how this one image has kind of come to people that are not super familiar with Stephen King has come to represent this entire body of like 70 yeah. plus novels that really mm-hmm. don't have much to do with this clown at all. And I think as somebody who has read all of his stuff, that's what frustrates me so much about Pennywise. Cause like I've said it before, I forget that there's a clown in it because that's yeah. not what the story is about for me. Like if I think about an image that really represents King's overall body of work to me, if it's not a red balloon, like it's King himself, you yeah, know, I yeah. really think more about him than I do really any one character. And so I think that's where I get a little frustrated is it just feels like it's it's become like a cliche thing for something that feels a lot deeper. To oh, yeah. You know? I mean, for me, it's it's I mean, walking through Banger when we were there, just seeing the the structural avenues and the. Just the, you know the streets, the way the buildings look. That is King to me. Like when right, I think of exactly. King, I think of that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, you know, and then after that, I think of um, you know uh, pound cake and fucking and stuff. But I you know, <laughs> that. let me add though too, Mike. I, I think I've said this on the pod before, but I think one of the things I was really struck by when we were in Bangor because I think I was ready for Stephen King. Um, souvenir shops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There aren't any. No. And we talked to locals about this and they're very much just like Stephen King has worked and, and, um, and like made himself a part of the community to the point so that we all see him as a part of the community and we don't see him as a cash cow. Uh, mm. Bangor is a very lovely little town that isn't dominated by images of King and iconography of King and souvenirs and pictures and, and, and pillows and, you know, like all these things that mm-hmm. you could do and probably have a nice little, you know, business there. I think um, the town doesn't really exploit that. And I, I thought about that a lot too, is how I think that's, something that King is pretty allergic to is his create. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously his creations have been, you know, uh, run through the various uh, content mills time and again. But I think there is something is uh, something to King in the way he approaches his work and the way he approaches life and, and commerce is that he doesn't want his uh, creations to be uh, churned out, you know, in that same sense. He's and, not and, a capitalist. Sl- yeah, just yeah. I don't. I yeah. think that I, I think that he doesn't have that capitalist drive when it comes to his work, and and that reflects, I think, when you're in town. Because I was so struck by that, and I really admired that. You know. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. That's maybe that's why they like uh, you know the the one store that that did have the stuff. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because it's like we we went to that and it felt like well that was the store I was anticipating. You know. Um, yeah. Jail Winter Store, which is an incredible store. Um, but even that store, there was such a depth of quality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just a bunch of trash. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. you know, hey, uh, let's do the next uh, hot take. Uh, Ashley, go for Adam. 
Adam Dietz. Adam Dietz says, 1975 Stephen King wouldn't enjoy the work of 2022 Stephen King. I like both versions, but I think young, angry King would find modern King's writing to be sappy, toothless, and bloated. Yeah, I feel like this is something we also talked to him about. I mean, this is the question I asked him in our interview. It's just that, you know, the post-2000 king i feel like the endings the good guys win the the bad guys r- rarely win in uh the you know the post 911 work and even before that to be honest with you and um you know he he basically uh, was like nah i haven't you know i haven't um i haven't lost my um you know i haven't gone soft is what he said which is hilarious <laughs> but uh and he hasn't because there's there's certainly a lot of stories that are incredibly dark and i think we're going to be getting to them in the next couple of years especially mm-hmm. as you know we've definitely leapt ahead and jen and randall you've read most of his work so um i i do think that I do still even think, though, that I, I agree with this sentiment, which is why I put it as mild, yeah. um, because I do yeah. think that he would look at a book like, especially Elevation. And Elevation, like, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think that's such a reflection, too, of just, of you know, I think living a very charmed life, uh, which is, you know, a very lovely thing, but, but also just getting older in general. And I think you, you know, if you're lucky, you do lose the anger and the cynicism of youth. You know, if you're lucky, because if you can just settle into old age and um, have a more optimistic view of the world, I think that's a really lovely thing. And that's very much I know where he's at based on a lot of interviews, latter day interviews I've listened to with him. Um, And, you know, he's talked a lot about how angry he was when he was younger and he had every right to be. I mean, the growing up in the like he came of age, you know, uh, against uh, the, you know, the backdrop of Vietnam and, and a million other things. And so it was a very tumultuous era and it was an era of change and it was an era of deception. And, um, and he also, I think was somebody who, you know, entered into an industry where people like him were very rare, somebody who comes from a blue collar, working class kind of background and wasn't taken seriously by a lot of people. And I think that, uh, that, you know, definitely contributed to some of that anger in those early days. And he was also struggling with poverty during the yeah. publication mm-hmm. of the first two yeah. of his books. I mean, it's books. night and day. So, it's, it's so yeah. night and yeah. day with Yeah, and so now he's, he's a lot more comfortable and he's still writing great works. But, you know, yeah, there is this really baked in optimism to him because I think that that uh, is a combination of a lot of things. But I, I think it's, you know, I think it's, it makes total sense. And I, but I also agree with the sentiment. Like, I, I mean, I, I look at Did stuff. Did you have wrote, this as mild? Like, I did, yeah, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I look at stuff I wrote when I was twenty, and I'm I hate it because I'm yeah. like I'm so much less angry now than I am then, and I'm still <laughs> fucking angry. But yeah, yeah. Well, and I think he was also like really fucked up for a lot of that time. You know, mm-hmm. like I think when mm-hmm. I think about like 1975 King, like I can't not see him in the midst of a really heavy addiction. You know, and I know it wasn't as bad as it was going to get, but I think that would have give him like less um you're not in an introspective space when you're in that kind of addiction and i think he just wouldn't have as much time for the the stuff like elevation which i really enjoyed but you know if i look at things like elevation and like sometimes they come back like the quality there and the like can kind of hamminess is the same it's it just is. that one yeah. is really dark and one is really light you know mm. um but but yeah, so I, I had this as mild too, even I, though I really like both ends of the spectrum. 
I, I know I mentioned yeah. elevation, but I will say that I think that because he had manuscripts in the seventies for this, I think he would look at under the dome and the 1975 version of him would see like under the dome in 1122, especially 1122 and be like, man, the son of a bitch finally cracked it. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like so in that no. respect, but uh-huh. Ashley, what do you take on this? Where, where, where was your vote for this? Was this a mild? I think it was mild. Um, if I remember correctly, cause I, just because I, I agreed, I thought so. I mean, if you, even if you just look at, don't look at an author, look at like rock and roll. Yeah. When they're young, when they're striving for fame, when they, when they aren't rich, when they are, you know, their, their music is so much harder, so much darker. It's just, that's what happens when we get older. Like we can't stay Mm. that dark and that you don't live as long if you stay that angry and that dark. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. I, I mean, I, I think of my favorite band, The Replacements, and you know their their first their first uh, album is literally just um, you know gutter punk, loudest brash you know brashest stuff. And then by the time they got to like all shook down, it's uh, you know stuff that could appear in the first season of Friends. I mean, it's just it's a total one eighty. Yeah, and that was only within like I don't know like ten years or something like that. So yeah, I mean the rock and roll argument is perfect. Is is, is dead. Yeah, on, I mean, know? and that's something I feel like I was reckoning with like personally recently. I saw uh, the band The Mountain Goats for probably the sixteenth, seventeenth time wow. uh, earlier this year. Yeah, like one of my favorite artists in the world, and um, but. I've seen him live, you know, several times, like in these last several years, and he's such a different person now. And it's a good thing. Like he seems so much happier and he, his music these days is a lot more band oriented and less isolated and more, uh, he has this very collectivist notion of making music now and he seems so much happier, but the music is not something I enjoy. I do not like the new <laughs> albums and I love the early stuff and he talks about it live. He doesn't enjoy playing the early stuff. He does not want to because mm. it just takes him back to to being so fucking like being, you know, broke, young, angry, uh, in his basement, you know, probably uh, heartbroken, like who at the time. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, it's really, and I, I totally understand the sentiment, but I kind of had to realize like, I don't think I'm going to go see him live anymore. Like as much as I love him because it's the experience is not the same for me. It's not why like the, the music he plays now is not the music that I fell in love with. And I haven't been able to sort of like find that way into the new music. And that's certainly not to say that it's not good and, and he's not having the best time, but it's like, I, uh, it was it was kind of sad, and my friend had a similar experience with the band The National, um, and he's like seen them a similar amount of times. So and we're both kind of like the things that we fell in love with are no longer really there with these bands, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like it just yeah. it's a sad thing, you know, when you get older. Yeah. And I think that's why like my parents like still go see Deep Purple, right? And they love it because <laughs> yeah. they play the same shit. Explain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Go, go for it, Jen. No, no, go for it, Jen. I was just going to say, it's interesting, like, along that comment, I was thinking, like, yeah, he's always really written the book that he wants to read, mm-hmm. you know? He's mm-hmm. not somebody who really sets out to try to please a certain, like, literary set or tries to, like, accomplish something with a book. I think he just kind of enjoys writing. So, yeah, he's writing in his older age. He's writing the books he wants to read now. And when he was younger, he was writing the books he wanted to read then. And there's there's a, you could, a huge tonal difference, you know? Well, that is, that sentiment right there is a perfect seg ha. into our last uh, mild, mild take, which is from uh, Pantera Tigris, which I think I've got that right, which they always talk about that in Discord. You know, oh, we got it wrong. We got the name wrong. Ah, no, sorry. Pantera Tigris. I'm pretty sure I got that right. If I didn't, I'm going to hear it on Discord anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, this hot take. People's favorite King book or the one they say is the best has more to do with when they read it 
or what age they were rather than the quality of the book itself, which I can I think kind of is a, a bridge to what you're discussing, Jen, is that like, um, you know, we, lo- we, we write what we, you know, we feel what we love. We read what we feel and what we love. I don't, mm-hmm. I, which is why I kind of promoted mild for this take. Um, just cause again, it's just like, it's a statement. It surely is, but it's more of a, a sentiment or a preference too, you know? And I, and I, for me, it's like, I think this is kind of a, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure this is the case. I mean, yeah. I think of, I, I mean, that's why when I think of my favorites or my, the best ofs, I really do kind of have to list them as, well, this is my favorite movie. This is what I think is the best movie. Yeah. You know, and this I think that's kind of way pop it is. Culture. And, yeah. and even life. I mean, it's like how it's the whole sentiment that your first love, you know, you'll never have anything like your first love, right? Like mm-hmm. you'll never feel anything like that again. And, um, but and this is why all adults are so alienated by the music of youth, right? Because <laughs> it's like, and they say my music was better, like my movies were better when I was young, and that's because you know you develop you, you're the first things that you love are always the ones that are going to last with you the longest. And and if there's one thing that I've embraced as I've gotten older, it's kind of like allowing myself to learn to love those things again, like like. I, I kind of fell out of it again, but I really got back back into like professional wrestling a couple of years ago because I grew up. It was my favorite thing in the world. And it was really fun and to revisit it and kind of remember what it was I loved about that so much when I was young. And sometimes like we try so hard to like get into new music or get into like new trends and all that. But sometimes it's like, I don't know, it's not for us anymore. And it's OK to be like. Like, uh, I want to go back to those things I loved when I was young, uh, just so long as you don't, as you can recognize that your love for it and your belief that it is better than everything else is a very personal and subjective thing and not some objective thing, which I think is where the disconnect happens Mm -hmm. and where a lot of arguments surface. But I think, I think it's a, I think that sentiment, uh, which I think is also very true of King, I'll always have a fondness for Christine because it was one of the first books I ever read. I'll always have a fondness for Wizard and Glass because I was going through an extremely tumultuous period of my life and it brought me a lot of comfort when I read it. Um, I talked about that on our book episode. It's like, um, and even Library Policeman, which is not, you know, not the best story, but it, it was a story that I have a very strong memory attached to. And those things are always going to make them higher in my estimation than they would if I'd read them last yeah. year, you know? I mean, I loved Dreamcatcher when I read it. I was 13. <laughs> I haven't yeah. read it since and I know not to. <laughs> I know to just let stuff. it a lot of good stay stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> stay stay in the past, stay in my heart where it is. Uh as the the lovely lovely extraterrestrial horror novel that it was to me at 13. Um We've got some Dreamcatcher coming up soon. Oh, we in do. This episode, yeah. Yeah. We, we certainly yes, do. We do. <laughs> um, Jen, what about you? Is this a sentiment that you agree with? Oh yeah, I love this one because, and I completely agree. And I think this is why, like, I will really, really argue for the meeting notes because, for whatever reason, when I read that section of the stand, like, it just really connected with me. I was so happy to see like all of these people that were my friends and we're all safe in this living room, and just that feeling of hanging out with characters that I really like is really, really strong in those meeting notes sections. And I think that's why I like it, even though I. I agree with criticism of that section that it's not the most interesting. I also think like I love Elevation because I read it like right after I'd left my job of like 13 years and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And it was a really like uplifting. It was exactly what I needed at the time. Mm. 
Um, Uplifting quite literally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was the perfect book for right then. And like, I agree with you. I love Christine too, because I read it when I was really young. Like I wasn't in high school anymore, but I think it was in college. And so it's just, I think Stephen King is such an empathetic writer and he's so good at taking like pop culture and connecting it to your emotions and really making you feel for the characters, you know? And I think that's why he is really able to create these unique emotional connections. And that's why I think people get so defensive about their favorite Stephen King Mm -hmm. books too, you know, Mm -hmm. it's because like when I hear somebody criticize the meeting notes, like I'm like, no, but they mean something to (laughs) me, you know? (laughs) One of our first uh, uh, little uh, conflicts on here, I think. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I had a preference as I was a kid and I, and I used to go with, uh, mild sauce all the time. You know, it was, I had a, and if people gave me shit about it, I'd be like, no, it's the best sauce of all time. It just tastes um, better. It does. It taste, it's just it's the best thing ever. It's what I had when I was 13. My but favorite now, food is mild salsa. It's mild and salsa. you know what? I will say as I got into my twenties, medium mm. was where it was at, which is where we're going now. Ooh. The medium hot takes. Little burn. So uh, let's jump there. Please don't make me do anything. Get out. Don't you understand what she's doing? Can't you feel it? Don't be stupid. If we could only discuss this, Turn please. In. Mike, I gotta I gotta point something out. I was listening to 2019 hot takes, Firestarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were bitching about how nobody stocks hot sauce hot salsa. It sounds like you've backtracked. I well no 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 no. So I said in my twenties uh, I was uh, I was interested in medium. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. so, are we going to find out where you are now? Oh, I'm a, I, I, I am a section? spicy demon or a spicy papa. You're a hot papa, daddy too. Spicy papa. I'm a hot daddy. daddy. <laughs> uh, but 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 I'm still look. I still stand by that. Although I will say maybe uh, the the people from Tostitos or as I said back at the time I think Tostinos. Tostinos, um, yeah. I, Tostitos is definitely they definitely listen to our podcast because I've seen more <laughs> hot salsa on the shelves. But I will say. There's still a dearth of 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 the hot. Like you always get mild. Mild's always there because we are, you know, we're in America and our taste buds or whatever. And because it's good, I eat mild for dinner. It's not bad. It's it's definitely it's a little bit like ketchup. But um, I the medium medium's a little bit better. But it still is kind of like, what am I eating here? And hot is like the only time where I actually feel like it's almost a medium. You feel but alive. It's very rare. Yeah, yeah. I feel like alive. It's you know, when, like the only POD. time I'm eating and I feel something. <laughs> yeah, every time I bite into a hot, uh, you know, hot sauce chip, I, I feel PODs alive. Just go like right behind me, go like blast me <laughs> behind me and, and everything. But not I, pearl jams. Not pearl jams alive. Um, but no, if only because in POD, the, the lyrics are, I feel so alive. And that's how I feel when I bite into a Tostitos chip with a hot sauce from Tostitos. But, do you know um, what POD stands for? Um, powers of dev dog pay, oh, power of dog is very good but uh it's and that's what if my band were called pod it would stand for power, power of, dog. of dog but um no Temple it's since we're payable on death because they were initially a christian band oh, oh. interesting. they yeah. were uh they were on the soundtrack for blue crush anyone ever see that movie I did. Yes. Yeah. Kate, Kate Bosworth. The surfer one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's now, a fun movie. Now married to uh, Justin Long, star of uh, Sam Raimi, who, or star of 
Drag uh, Me to Hell, directed Barbarian. by Sam Raimi. No way. And Barbarian. She's married to Justin Long? Yeah. I didn't know that. Or, they're in a relation. Uh, so I'm I was going to say King's Dominion, but then I'm like, none of these are King's Dominion. I know. <laughs> I know. I was trying I to change. I'm single. Like, I can't imagine him dating anybody. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think Long has ever been in a, in a King. No, I was like, I felt like I was going to be able to get somewhere because then Raimi's not done King, has he? No, he hasn't. We I was going to go, I was gonna hey. go Sam Raimi, Drag Me to Hell. And then my brain goes like Raimi King, Raimi King. And there here's a loose. Anything. Here's a loose. So Justin okay. Long was in an episode of Creep Show, which is... Oh, that's there right. There we go. King and related. he is in our King multiverse also. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Is. We did cast oh, him. Oh, he read as, Dinky uh, Earnshaw. He read Everything's Eventual, which counts. Oh, yes. that does count. Oh, wow. How about and that? Then you cast him as that in our live show. I did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about this? Well, all right. Well, we got our medium. Well, we've solved it. <laughs> our medium hot takes right now. This is uh, our medium takes because we can't say medium hot takes because it doesn't really make much sense. But we got medium takes here. Randall, kick it off. Yeah, sure. Blake Stiegel says, I feel like I'll get torn to shreds for this, but it is a better coming of age story than the body. I want to emphasize nobody's getting torn to shreds here. No. I mean, not. not here. We're all friends here. We're, I'm coming for somebody later on this list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I take it back. We are going to tear you to shreds. Um, it is a coming better, uh, a better coming of age story than the body. I, I think I, I called this a medium, I think, because... It's bold, but it also creates, I think, an an unfair uh, uh, sense of opposition between these two yeah. stories because mm-hmm. they're so different. You know they what are. I mean? I think it's better. I think a more like if you wanted to say um, uh, it is a better coming of age story than Dan Simmons' um, uh, Summer of Night, right? Which is a basically Dan Simmons' version of it, which or um, which is a very good book, but I prefer it. Uh, but it's also a coming-of-age horror novel that is epic in scope. Um, and so, whereas, like, The Body and It, to me, they're, they're like, they feel miles, miles, miles apart. So I, I think that they both, and they both tell very different coming-of-age stories. You know, mm-hmm. they're both, uh, I think they both touch on similar ideas of of drifting apart from people. Um, and, but, you know... And I, I think the way that those bonds do persevere into adulthood, even if they're not acknowledged for many years. Um, but, you know, the stories themselves are so wildly different. I don't know. Did you guys feel I, similar? They're, they're also, I mean, we spend a lifetime with the characters in It, and we spend mm-hmm. uh, an afternoon with the characters yeah. in the body. And we we get 2,000 pages of the characters in It, and we get less than 200. So... Yeah. In a way, yes, it is a better coming of age story, I guess, than the body. And just in the sense that we actually do get to come of age with the characters, um, whereas in the body we we don't get that opportunity. But I think that they are compared. I think the kids are all written so well that it's hard mm. to not compare them to each other Mm -hmm. because that is like the standout in both of those stories is how well those kids are written. And then when there's adaptations, how well the kids perform in the roles. Mm -hmm. That's very Mm -hmm. true. That's very true. I I mean, I I think the movie adaptations really, really do stand out. Like, I think that's maybe, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought out the adaptations because I feel like stand by me is like four of the best child actors I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. 
and then the It miniseries from 1990 and the It movie from 2017. Stand out. That's both where they're both at their strongest is mm-hmm. when it's about those kids. And those kids have genuine bonds. And like that's what well, makes those those movies really great. They yeah. seem real. And that's what makes this more of – that's what I think makes this a medium take. Because yeah. I do yeah. think there is an argument. But for me, this is like – you know, the body walks so that it could run, you know, yes. it could run. I mean, when you think about it, like it really is a template for what's to come in 1986 with, uh, with it. I mean, so it's in that case, it's almost like, uh, you know, the body's within the woods and, um, or no, actually it's like the body is the evil dead from 1981 and it is like, you know, combining of <laughs> evil, evil dead, dead two and army of darkness the, <laughs> you know, combined. And I, and in that capacity, it's just like, they're all great, you know, and it's all, you know, they all inform one another. Um, I think for me, when I look back at like the success, I think honestly, one of my, my final thoughts for our four or five, six, whatever episode run that we did for it was the fact that I, I did say that I thought that stand by me was the better coming of age story, but I felt that it, was able to build upon it and take us into areas that the body couldn't. Um, yeah. Like because, specifically relationship to place. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a little bit more, um, we don't get that as much because the kids are basically out in the woods, you know, yeah. on these yeah. paths, like the whole book. And it's really about the bond between these four boys. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there is stuff with, with obviously Gordy's family and we get some about Teddy's dad, stuff like that. But I think, um, I think it's a lot more about, uh, uh, dairy, Derry's relationship to the kids mm-hmm. in it uh, and the general town and like the fabric of the town and the ways yeah. that that seeps in, in the same way that uh, the friendships do. And so yeah. I think that's where it can be more expansive and more encompassing uh, than something like stand by me, which I think is a lot more hyper intimate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a much more internal story because it takes place in the woods, but that gives it like it's just within the four friends. And I feel like it is really them coming of age in the larger scope of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. and finding their way in it. And I mean, when I think about which one I connect with more, I connect with it more because it's got Bev in it and there is no character like Bev in the body. And that's not to dismiss anything in the body. I love it, but I feel like it just gives me more, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, stay on the mic, Jen, because you got a long, hot take to read. uh, All right. All right. Sean Grace. Um, I think King's On Writing is absolutely not the best guide for aspiring writers. I love the book and listening to and listen to the audiobook that he reads a couple of times a year, but I enjoy it more for the autobiographical segments than anything else. I think his advice on writing, particularly when it comes to his opinion on outlining a story, is wrong for anyone just starting out to be a writer. Working without an outline is the provenance of experienced writers who have been at the craft for a long time. I think King forgets just how skilled he is at telling a story, and his opinion on outlining shows that. There's a popular idea that the way to achieve mastery at any given skill is to practice it for 10,000 hours. Well, if that's true, then I think the evidence that is contrary to King's opinion is right there in his book when he talks about starting to submit stories in his youth. He says he started collecting the rejection notices and stuck them on a nail in the wall. He says that eventually there were so many that the nail fell off and he had to replace it with something akin to a railroad spike. 
All of this is before he even finished high school. So there's no question that he put in his 10,000 hours before he even graduated. I mean, he wrote The Long Walk while he was still in college, for fuck's sake. Well, much of his advice in on writing is pretty great, particularly when he talks about putting in the work day after day. Some of it is not for the beginner. I think we got to the sentiment with our two book episodes, because I think that we ultimately stress that it was really important to be a memoir because we were able to see a lot of this stuff in practice. And I think Mm -hmm. that ultimately my argument for that book was that by seeing how it was through application, specifically in his own, um, you know, background and his experiences, it was like kind of this like meta way of, of being a, a, a great on writing guide because I was not only seeing just how it, you know, where it came from, how it informed him, but he was also kind of doing it while telling all of this at once, you know, by showing different ways to do the, you know, the, the, the storytelling itself. So I, I, I disagree with this take. I, that's why I think it's all a, a really good one and a, and a good medium take, but I can see where the point of view comes from. Um, well, when I just we think- did the episode, we we broke it down and, or at least mm-hmm. tried to break it down yeah. into what is helpful and what isn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I do think it is individual for every writer. I do think some people, some people can sit down without an outline and knock out their first book, and it's great. Um, I do agree that outlines are very helpful for younger writers, um, but at the same time, like you know, nothing, no one rule, like it's not monolithic. Like there's not one rule that really works for anyone. So that's the thing about a writing guide is you really are just picking and choosing what works for you and what doesn't. But I mean, I'll be honest. I agree that the most powerful parts of on writing are, is the autobiographical memoir section because the, uh, the, the tips for writing again, there is, I mean, the fact that he characterizes it as work and not, you know, that he emphasizes the work over the inspiration mm-hmm. is very important and something I think yeah. a lot of young writers do need to hear. But, you know, it's like there's stuff in there. He talks about writing his first drafts in three months. And it's like, that just makes me feel like an absolute, like, I feel humiliated reading that. You know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. it's like, I think that there is, and I do, he, when, when Sean here says uh, that note about, King forgets how good he is at this. I think that is so true because I think yeah, that he same. is almost supernaturally touched in uh, in how talented he is and how um, how strong he is to be able to just knock stuff out like that because not not just anybody can do that. Yeah, um, I think yeah. he kind of has this feeling that like, listen, if I can do it, you can do. It. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, right. no, actually, Which is very you're sweet. <laughs> you're weirdly good at this. Mm-hmm. But it's always hard to see it's, when you're weirdly good at something, when you're weirdly talented at something. You're there's always a part of you that's like, this is a fluke. Trust me, mm-hmm. you're gonna discover that I'm a phony soon. <laughs> yep. It's that imposter yeah. syndrome that I think everyone has, unless you're a total sociopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was. I do wish it was called writing without writing. You know, like one of those. Oh, like cool the little, Seinfeld uh, book or that. Oh, the oh, yeah. yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I actually, I think it's a perfect uh, title. But uh, anything <laughs> else on writing? Yeah, I want to say, like, I think this is both right and wrong. And I think a lot of it depends on what kind of writing you're doing. You know, like for fiction writing, I think an outline might be more important than maybe like essay or analytical or, you know, just, I don't know poetry or something. And 
the reason that I didn't write for a long time is because I was really bad at outlining and I didn't know what I wanted a story to do. And real, and then I realized I just don't want to write fiction. And so when I read on writing the section that was the most powerful to me and that really kind of, I feel like gave me permission to start writing in this way is when he just talks about just close the door and write whatever you want and just put mm-hmm. it all on the page. And that's what I do now. And I even really think of it as just like shitting out a bunch of words. And then I go back in and reform it. And that really works well for me. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't read this book as a total beginner. But if I were trying to write a story, I would need an outline. So, you know, yeah, I think I right it. and wrong. Yeah, I I love writing outlines. I hate having to sit down and flesh it out. Um, (laughs) Oh, see, I'm the opposite. (laughs) And I well, and my my issue with that is that I I I have a great look at where I want to go and what I want to do and put there, and then I I um I just overthink it, and you know it's just uh you know it's fun. It's as I said in the episode, writing is just an absolute blast for me, and um, (laughs) I wake up every day thinking about how much I can't wait to do it. Um, (laughs) I'm just joking. It's hell for me. Um, but we're in hell right now. That's why it's so hot. Uh, <laughs> Ashley, take the next hot take. Yes, I'm actually really glad I got this one. Brett Camber and Cujo Litman says, Gerald's game wasn't that scary. It was hundreds of pages too long. And Jesse was a boring protagonist. The only interesting character was the dog. Oof. It's pretty spicy. But I, the reason I'm spicy. I'm actually We're surprised. I'm so, I was going to say, I'm surprised it's medium. I'll say only I've well, did it medium I, I, only I, because I, I think I wrote medium for this. I, I just don't think a lot of people think Gerald's game as like a horror book as much. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Like I don't yeah. think a lot of like I don't think Gerald's game repu- Gerald's game's reputation is that it is that scary. You know what I mean? Agreed. That is why I said it was medium. But it is a spicy take, uh, because I I mean I personally do think it's scary, but I don't think that's the reputation, but I, I do think it's a spicy take just because it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, definitive in how it is uh, judging yeah. this book. So I have a well, the hotter take, take is that Jesse's a boring. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say my spicy take is that I tried to read Gerald's game and I couldn't like I put it down and I tried to watch it and I turned it off. Oh, no. Mm. Like, it just did not connect with me at all. I don't know why. I usually really, really love um, female-driven Stephen King stories. I think he writes women really well. Um, I don't know if it's that I just felt... I felt like I was being beaten over the head with trauma. Mm. Mm. And it, it, I just, okay, did you guys ever see the Skeleton Twins? Yeah. I didn't. Love no. that movie. I actually really yeah. like that movie. But the biggest problem Same. I have with that movie is how many suicide attempts there are in it. I know. Um, There's like six of them in the movie. Literally, it it's ends. like one, you know, this person tried to commit suicide and then this character tries and then this person tries and then this. And it was just sort of like, maybe cut one. Maybe cut yeah. one of them. <laughs> or cut four. Or like, cut could, four of like, them. <laughs> yeah, it's usually like a climactic thing. Yeah, you know? and uh, um, I, and that's how I felt when I, I attempted to read and when I attempted to watch Gerald's game is that I just... And, like, here's the thing. Because I never finished them, I don't know how it's rectified. I don't know how it is, how it turns out and how it's, like, how it all comes together and what 
that trauma does for that character in order to save mm-hmm. her, which I know has to be a major part of the story. I just couldn't mm-hmm. get to that point. Yeah. Well, Jen? I, I was going to say Jen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Jen, I'm waiting for you. Attacked. Not by you, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. By, by Brett. Like, I actually interacted with him on Twitter about this. And hey, Brett, I'm just kidding. I love you, and you can think whatever you want. Um, this is one of my all-time favorite stories, and I love it so much. I think you're completely right. There is a lot of trauma in this story, a lot. and it is hard to get through. Um, I, and it kind of goes back to one of the other ones we were talking about. Like, I read this at, like, the perfect time for me to read it. And that's partly why it like holds such a special place in my heart. Um, but I understand like it is, it's a book that doesn't really do anything mm-hmm. It because it's in like, it doesn't do that much active stuff. But, you know, I, I would say if you could get through the first part, the way that that trauma does kind of rescue her, I find really real. Like I cry every fucking time. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's just it's such an internal book, and it like, really that's is, what you're yeah. trying to say. I think is like it's all in her head, and mm-hmm. it's all of her various like uh, demons that right. are perched on her shoulders. She's trapped here with the corpse of her husband and uh, this hungry dog, and then it turns out a very spooky man. Yeah, it's um, like an emotional and, flood of things. Yeah, happening. and it is an emotional flood, and it is this woman who was left alone with her thoughts and her insecurities and her terrors and her fears, and and so yeah, it's like. And I, I read this book when I was 12 or 13 years old. I had no fucking wow. clue what was happening. Because, like, yeah. a, a lot of this stuff was just so beyond my understanding of, of where I was at my life in that time. I was like, give me more of the creepy guy in the corner, you know? And then mm-hmm. – um, but when I revisited it and then when I watched the movie, I think the movie's fantastic. And mm. I think it's uh, – and I think the movie's um, – um, very effective in terms of how it does the horror aspects of it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's to me, um, uh, a really interesting book in the King canon. I wouldn't call it one of my favorites, but I think it, it's such a unique and strange horror story that is so, that is told in such a way that I feel like we don't get very often. And it was King really yeah. challenging himself, I think in terms of the way he typically writes in it. And, you know, we, t- we have episodes on all these and we talked about this cause this was the same time as um, Dolores Claiborne, which is another experimental book uh, in terms of not just writing a female protagonist, especially an elder one, like in Dolores Claiborne, but you know, that's a first person book written in, you know, really in uh, like, intense slang, you know? Mm. And then uh, Gerald's Game is this book where he's basically like, all right, I'm going to do a horror novel where a woman is handcuffed to a bed the entire book. Like, that's hard shit. And I can appreciate that, like, uh, especially from a craft and intellectual perspective. But um, but it's those are extremely, I think, alienating books for a lot of people. So I totally understand when people don't like them. Um, But but I think uh, I think a book like Gerald's Game specifically is going to hit everybody. And I know this is true for all stories. Like every story hits everybody a different way, but it is such a, uh, an, I think deeply in uh, cerebral and internal and, and at times alienating experience, uh, especially once you get to the kind of, I think centerpiece of the book, which is, uh, I don't want to say what it is, but it involves a hand that, Ooh. that is one of the hardest things I've ever read. And 
in the movie too, I literally was screaming at my screen. So it's like Mm -hmm. that book is, is really repellent. I think in a lot of ways, very purposefully, uh, because that it's all these ugly emotions and ugly memories and difficult to sort through things. And then it's hyper violent and, um, uh, genuinely painful imagery. So it's all these things, you know? And so I think it's a book that is just, I think, in all caps, not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. the funny games of books. You yeah. Know? It's like, it really, you that's can a good get comp. through it. It's, it's great, but yeah. it is an endurance test. I can't yeah. believe I got through it when I was a kid. Well, that, I genuinely can't. Yeah. And that, I mean, the endurance is a key word here for me. It's, and that's what I love so much about my, my favorite subgenre beyond uh, found footage is, is survival horror. And in this case, it's a, uh, you know, it is survival horror, but it's just more survival thriller. And just seeing the fact that it's so internal speaks to the best tenets of survival horror is that like, you know, when we're watching it on screen and obviously Flanagan does a really good job in exacerbating those inner thoughts by manifesting it through, you know, her, her characters and stuff. Yeah. Like he that, really you know? activates the so movie. I, yeah. And that's really strong part of that, the, you know, about the film. Um, but what I do love about the, the, you know, the story is that like, you do get to kind of see the, the, the thinking of how she's going to get to the, these conclusions, these aha moments that we typically take for granted with survival horror movies. Like, you know, most of the time they get away with it by like her, you know, she stumbles upon something and, oh, there's a, a knife that's embedded into the thing or, you know, a guy, um, you know, is, uh, he's, he's kind of stretching out and he looks above and he sees there's a nail in the wall or something like that, you know, little things like like that, that, you know, the, the camera does a lot of work to make it seem, uh, seamless, but in Gerald's case, you can't really do that as a book. And so I do love the fact that it is just this mental, um, their mental acrobatics to get from point A to point Z. And I think King does a really fucking good job at it. And so it's not that it's, I don't, I don't think scary is necessarily where it's at. I just think, and also, and also, so I disagree with that. And then I also don't, I mean, Jesse is not a boring protagonist. If anything, she's probably, he's probably one of the, you know, she's probably one of the most nuanced characters in King's canon. So, um, that's why I think this is a medium take. I mean, it's, it comes close to being a hot take. Pretty for close. Me, but I will say you can be nuanced and boring, though. You can, but I but I think that with in this case that there's so much going on and there's so much backstory that I, I just find it hard for her to be boring, especially since she's ultimately really, if you think about it, the only character in the book. Um, yeah. Well, and she has to be complex because yeah. there's nothing else. Yeah. You exactly. Know? And she's not doing anything, so she has to be like very emotionally deep. Well, speaking of complex and deep, this next fucking hot take. Jesus Christ, Emily. <laughs> we said one. One hot take. So I'm going to read it all, and we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to give our one uh, sentiment on this because uh, we're doing the inverse, Emily. Sorry. Uh, there is no sag in Dreamcatcher, the novel, and the card chase. This is from Emily Winner, by the way. She writes, there's no sag in Dreamcatcher, the novel, and the car chase could have been even slower and longer for my liking. It's like those (laughs) dreams where you can't run. Dreamcatcher, the movie, is a five-star experiment, and the Tom Jane answering the phone, a gun phone moment, hello, Jonesy, is perfect camp that isn't meant to be camp. The stand is overrated, and the best parts are the vignettes that have nothing to do with our main characters. Stephen King didn't write fairy tale alone. I generally believe it was outlined as a third talisman novel with Straub, but then P.S. got sick and had to drop out, but already had sketched out his sections, and then King did a seance with Straub, had to possess him with this (laughs) final chapters okay the possession thing is a rough working theory but the rest i stand by that whole segment right there remind me of my one of my favorite chapters in rules of attraction which is victor where he just reads all of the stuff that he's doing in in europe um but anyway where do we start so i think the big one here because i think a lot of this is very tongue-in-cheek from emily um is is the one that she's been kind of standing for on 
on Discord, which I love. And I think we kind of kicked around on our fairy tale episode. But look, this that was in the Patreon feed. And so we're going to be talking about here in the main feed. The th- idea that King didn't write fairy tale. I think that's the most interesting take here because I think it's <laughs> obviously it's the newest one. And it's one that I would be lying if I said didn't come to mind in the last couple of months. Now, on that episode for fairy tale, I argue there's no fucking way that King in his blood could ever even think about the idea of a ghostwriter. I think I I relate to the John Grisham thing of how he's being able to kick out his high school novels. I don't think King will ever do that. If he ever did that, he would go the extra work or extra mile to rewrite it and make sure that, you know, it's to his liking. Um, However, in the sense that I didn't really like fairy tale so much, it did make me wonder this what if situation um, of the talisman of it being a third talisman novel. And maybe it was supposed to be something bigger. What do you all make of this? Although I know not everyone here has read fairy tale. So uh, I'll start with you, Jen. What do you think here? Well, if you've read on writing, you know that Stephen King thinks outlining is stupid and nobody should ever do it. So I think he's definitely, or she's definitely right when she said Peter Straub did the outline. Um, I think King absolutely wrote this book. Mm -hmm. Like there's enough pound cake throughout it. Just (laughs) screams his name, you know. Um, But I do think that the, the idea of an outline is really interesting. And I could see maybe Straub having more to do with the, the sections are, I can't even remember the name of the world. It's like not delay, not midworld, I know, wherever they are. Um, it, it is I weird how see, it's just vanished from my yeah, view. It has vanished from my it. view. Yeah. Um, I, I could see him writing that section and I can, I could understand maybe that's why that section is not so compelling for me is because maybe it was just like in prison and then he had to fill it all out. And that's why the interest, the part that I'm really connected to is the part at the beginning, which feels a lot more like King mm-hmm. to me, you know, mm-hmm. Randall. I love a Where good conspiracy go? theory, so uh, yeah. I'm just going to say I believe every word Emily has said. <laughs> yeah, um, possession, um, the possession and the sands. Especially the sands. Uh, yeah. So, no, I don't know. I, I love I love the theory, and I think as with most conspiracy theories, um, uh, look, I'm listening to all sides. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, this, it cracks me up. I love it. And I'll say... Uh, the Dreamcatcher of the movie is a five-star experiment, and the Tom Jane answering the gun phone moment, hello, Jonesy, is perfect camp that isn't meant to be camp. I mean, we had, I, I have to say, Jillian we, Horvath, had, yeah. we had Jillian Horvat on our episode, who is a Dreamcatcher film stan, so you're not alone in this belief, and I will say I laughed heartily at Tom Jane answering a gun as if it were a phone. Um, <laughs> it is fantastic. And, and, you know, Jillian really turned me around on that movie a little bit. I, I was not a huge fan. I still, I don't think it's a necessarily good movie, but I think there is a lot to admire about it being, uh, perhaps one of studio filmmaking's last big swings. Yeah. So, um, there is something to that as well. Uh, stand is overrated. I know we discussed that. We did. That was our, our featured our uh, banner, um, statement that we used for the headlines. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, uh, Dreamcatch for the novel and the car chase could have been even slower and longer for my liking. That is a direct uh, uh, jab at our Dreamcatcher book episode where we all said <laughs> the book's really great until they get in cars and then <laughs> yeah. when it starts hurting. So when I that started to, screaming at it to hurry up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I read the first half of that book like in 
like a couple days. And then the last half took me like a month. So yeah. it's uh, so I don't know. I, I can't I can't go with you there, Emily. But that is, I think, a very uh, nice spicy take. And mm-hmm. uh, several of these are. So kudos to you. I don't think we can do conspiracy theories or hot takes, uh, but you have a conspiracy theory. And that to me is is spicy in and of itself. Agreed. So I commend you. And I am listening. I hope you have more evidence i will read whatever shady website you send me that has more oh god you're gonna just destroy our discord now. i'm gonna be the QAnon of fairy tale yeah yeah. Yeah. our discord's gonna turn into a fucking subreddit now uh (laughs) ashley what anything any uh takeaways from these dozen takeaways from emily (laughs) i mean nothing that hasn't already been said i will say I, I know what she's saying about the stand because I didn't read that until 2020. And, you know, it, it, it's always touted as, as Steve, one of Stephen's best works, if not his best or his greatest or his, you know, whatever. And it was a little bit of a letdown for me um, after years mm. and years and years of having it on my list. So I, I, totally totally get where she's coming from when she says the stand is overrated i don't know if that's true um like we said earlier like an opinion you can't really you know be too spicy with a a personal preference but i agree with her there i i know i know a way to turn this around Mm. um have you have you tuned into cbs all access is the stand (laughs) Uh, you might like uh, how they distill a real (laughs) hot take yeah yeah. cbs all accesses is better than the novel better than both the book and the <laughs> and the miniseries yeah i mean even uh, i won't go there and i will <laughs> defend that one. and you get to see the uh, northman's ass in the, the last episode two times um, two times two times uh well speaking of two times we get m two I times see. in this name coming up uh, that was good not bad not bad i will say uh randall take uh take this next one yeah, Matt Morris, uh, the Bill Hodges books are pretty good. And although not a hot take, the show is even better. I mean, saying a Stephen King book is pretty good is a medium take for you guys. Come on. like It's really not. It's a mild take. Well, everyone had it. Here's the thing. It's like most people had voted it medium. And I didn't feel like doing a split. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's why I think it's medium. And here's why I think it's hilarious Brilliant. is because like when you say that it, this is a hot take because the bar is pretty good, that tells you how <laughs> low the bar is for the Hodges trilogy, which yeah. I agree with. Like there are some of my least favorite of his books. Yeah. Um, which, I can't wait till we get them to get to them. Oh, <laughs> God. God. Yeah, not it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will say... <laughs> What's the one in the middle? Um, Finders, Finders Keepers. keepers Finders Keepers. Finders yeah. Keepers is good. And man, I read through the first one really, really fast and really enjoyed it and then read it again and was like, Bleh. Um And it's really just because I don't like Bill Hodges. And yeah. That's, he's just a corny character. He know? really he hates, is. He hates and he's, salads. Yeah. I mean, salads <laughs> no, he, are awesome. He comes around to love salads. <laughs> oh, by the way. Because it lets him bang a hot girl because yeah, oh, he's God. eating salads. Um, anyways, I just think it's, I, I love the wording of this because I feel like the 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 implied hot take here is how low the bar is set for the hot <laughs> well, I, and not only that but like it's also Matt also just absolutely softens even more of his statement by saying although not a hot take in the hot take <laughs> like yeah. who the fuck says that that, that I love that Matt correct. that was great he is, he is correct, correct that the series is better than the, the book universally agreed upon well, it's because yeah. Brendan Gleeson's in it he's fucking great I mean yeah I haven't seen his movie makes that too. character watchable I, I, yeah you know it's like I, I I don't think the Hodges books are 
are uh, unreadable by any means. I think pretty yeah. good is is fine. And yeah, Finders Keepers is, is solid. Um, and then the first book I remember struggling with and the third book I remember struggling with. But I, I wouldn't say that either of them are, are horrible. Although, you know, I have seen some sentiment in our Discord that End of Watch is, is some of our of our uh, constant listeners' least favorite King book of all time. So, oh, so there weird. is that. Interesting. Yeah. So that says a lot. Well, any other uh, Hodges takes? Uh, Ashley, did you, did you ever watch the show yet or read these books? Um, yeah, actually, what's funny is when Mr. Mercedes came out, I started reading it. I was bored. I quit reading it. When Finders Keepers, <laughs> Finders Keepers came out, I was working at Barnes & Noble. And when you work at Barnes & Noble, you can borrow books, like a library, and bring oh. it back in two weeks. Oh, nice. It's a pretty cool perk of the job. That's pretty And awesome. uh, I remember borrowing it simply because it said Stephen King. And uh, I knew I wanted to read it. I didn't know it was a sequel. I was immediately <laughs> into it. And all of a sudden, he started talking about it was Hodges, but I didn't remember Hodges' name. And he started talking about a, a guy who ran over a crowd of people. And I was like, that sounds so familiar. Why does that sound so familiar? And I was probably in, I was an embarrassingly <laughs> amount into this book before I realized I was reading a follow up to a book I tried to read and put away. So I It'd be funny if you were like Mercedes, and I just was like, I'll catch yeah. on. I'll catch up. Mm-hmm. It'd be funny if you were like, uh, oh, wait, I remember this plot line about like a guy running over people. Maybe this is a Dark Tower related <laughs> book. Yeah, right? Yeah, I couldn't place. God. I was like, where have I heard this story before? And it's like, maybe in the first book, you idiot. But I have watched the series, and I think it's fantastic. Remind me, because, oh, you know what? We'll talk about it in the book episodes. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there in about two years. Yeah, in I don't two think it's years, next year. We've got a lot unfortunately. to talk about. I think 2024 is when we finally uh, beep beep with Hodges. Uh, <laughs> I I will say, interesting that Barnes and Noble lets you take home books. They have no control over whether or not you're going to bring it to the. Oh bathroom no! So here, I was just yeah. going to say that book's been in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can't sell it. You had to. Uh, it had to be a hardcover, and it had to have a removable slip because you would take the slip off and you would turn the slip in. And so you had to bring the book back ah. to get the slip back. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are in, yeah, insider like secrets. Food all over it. Or yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think. Well, I think you it's should like probably get, like, I get like Cheetos <laughs> dust yeah. all over the pages. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna look through every one of my. I'm gonna look at the real covers of books now. Whenever I'm at Barnes and Noble, I was just there in August. Uh, about defending your life on Blu-ray. Good movie. Um, what? Not a hot take. <laughs> well, because it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I and I needed it for the when I did the screening at the music box for my birthday. It was a good one. But uh, oh, okay. Well, look. We've reached the end. The last section are true hot takes. Jen, <laughs> kick it off with the son wait, of the wait, devil wait, himself. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, before we start, I have an update. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, no. Buy, oh, volcanic? You, you can buy a set of three. Congo vintage movie watches uh, that were a Taco Bell Christmas promotion for I had them. $40 Whoa. on eBay. You had, I had them? Wow. I had them. I, I was a huge Congo head uh, at the time. I was a Congo um, head. You could be $40 richer right now if you still had them. Yeah. I don't have them. I, I had those. I was a huge watch head for fast food stuff because like uh, Burger King had Your Nightmare deep. before Christmas. <laughs> 
Um, McDonald's had Jurassic Park. They did, yeah, yeah, and then because um, you can also buy Jurassic Park McDonald's watches. One on of eBay. these movies is not like the other. One of these. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> it's uh, very true, especially when the case of Congo, which we, I think every studio, I think the studio at the time was like hoping like. I think we got ourselves another Jurassic Park. I think park we did it, guys. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Yeah, these I monkeys think, are gonna uh, yeah. take us all the way. I to think the by bank. Saturday of that weekend, they're like, we don't have <laughs> Jurassic Park on our hands, and uh, no. it's a, it's a shame. Um, all right, Son of the Devil. Th- by the way, thank you for the update on yeah, the Congo course. update. Yes. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to more. I'm hoping that we get some more. Uh, uh, I hope there's some more monkey business coming down the road. Um, <laughs> the Son of the Devil. He's got the first hot take. Jen, take it away. I'm glad I got this one. Um, The Dark Tower is amongst King's most boring work to me. The only parts I find interesting is when they're in our world. I tried and tried, but couldn't find much that I found relatable in Midworld. It also kind of ruins the mystique of the creatures from the mist for me. I do listen to the book and DT do or... Detour episodes, though, and I hope I've not offended the two Dan's too much. Cheers, Damien, Kylie. Um... Yeah, I know you and I, Mike. We and I, agree with this. This mm-hmm. is our. We agree with this hot take. It is a hot take. I, 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 I think it's a very hot take. It's yeah. a hot take, but I agree with it. And I'm yeah. sure the Dan's would respect everyone's, uh, you know, opinions and and differ. You know, yeah, yeah. But I completely agree with this. I lose track of where I am, and I have such a hard time like following the story. But I love the drawing of the three, and I like um, Wolves of the Cala a lot, and I like a lot of sections of the Dark Tower. Yeah. I think that's the I mean, problem I have with almost all fantasy because I didn't. Same. I can't read Dark Tower. I didn't read Fairy Tale. I tried reading, you know, the Lord of the Rings novels back in the day when the movies were coming out and they were all the rage. I just can't follow it, and I don't know if it's the 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 made up names. I don't know if it's the the wacky names for places and things. I but I I don't really have a problem if it's a. If it's world building in a sci-fi sense, for some reason, then I can mm-hmm. I seem to be able to follow it. But fantasy just goes right over my head. Yeah. For me, it was like not having a visual reference, you uh-huh. know, and that's why, like, I know what New York looks like. So that's why the drawing of the three was easy. And so, like, when I the first time I read Lisey's story, I was like, what the fuck is this Booyah yeah. Moon thing? But then when I saw the show, the show helped me kind of yeah. contextualize it. And I enjoyed the book so much better just because, like, I cannot pull those visuals out of the, the narrative if I don't already have something, you know? Uh, I mean, for me, it's telling that my favorite books in The Dark Tower are all revolving around grounded elements. Like I yeah. lo- like you're saying, like the drawing of the three, I read that so fast because mm-hmm. of the hopping, the, the, the idea, the execution, the mechanics of the doors was so fucking cool to me. And being able to go back to New York was really awesome too. And especially the dichotomy of, of this character that now at that point I knew what his, his, his personality was and I knew what Midworld was. And to see that, that, that sort of fish out of water story in New York was hilarious. Um, I also love, but at the same point, you know, I love a, a deep centered midworld story, which is heart and, you know, wizard and glass because it's a, it's a love story. So for me, it's like, I, I was able to find uh, a little bit more of a, a, a way to, a way in, in a way where mm-hmm. I was invested because of the love uh, that was, you know, on display. One of King's best love stories. And one of the reasons why I also love song of Susanna so much is because so much of it takes place in New York and it's a chase. 
and we're going to get, obviously you're going to have that book episode in a couple of weeks, but that's, that was always why I loved it and why I just devoured it was because it had so much of that. And honestly, with Wolves in the Cow is the same way because you get to follow Callahan throughout the, the, the town. So um, honestly, Damien, you're hitting all the, 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 the notes for me. Although I will say the mystique of the creatures in the mist is still the same for me. You know, if yeah. anything, the, the creatures being in our world made it that much more interesting to me because I found myself... I mean, I found myself more invested in it because I was like, oh, these things that I can't explain in our world, now that makes me scary. That, that, it makes me scared more than it would if I was in Midworld because at that point, I just don't have any frame of reference and whatnot. It also did help kind of what you're saying with Lisey's story, the movie The Mist, uh, which yeah. we'll be discussing next week for its 15th anniversary, certainly uh, gave um, you know credence to the descriptions that are on the paper. So yeah. that helped out big time. Um, but uh, Randall, you've been quiet. And I know that you're a Dark Tower defender here. Um, well, it's funny because I'm working through these last the last three books because you know last month we did Wolves the Cala. This month we're doing Song of Susanna. Next month we're doing the Dark Tower. And you know it, it, I haven't read these since I, they first came out. And I'm I'm having a really interesting experience revisiting these. I loved them when I was younger. I was always really tapped into it. And I think these books are wildly divisive for people. And we had, I was listening to our Firestarters from 2019, and we had somebody else who had a similar sentiment about, um, about really struggling with Dark Tower and calling them specifically boring. Um, so this is a hot take, I think, just because these books are in many ways kind of... Uh, I think central they're 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 kind of almost like a nervous system for the the Stephen King ooze, you know, because so much mm-hmm. is connected to them. They are, you know, they're a skeleton in a lot of ways. And it, it's really interesting. And I think like if you don't like them, that's it makes sense in a lot of ways because they are so different from, I think, a lot of, you know, iconic and classic King. But but there is I think it's still a spicy take because they are so central, I think, to the larger multiversal uh, effort in a lot of King's work that he sought to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, tie up like all these different balls of or strings of yarn, uh, you know, around this time in his career. And so um, I don't know. It, it, the thing is, I'm not a big fan of like the first Dark Tower or the first Gunslinger book. I think it's really yeah, boring. Same. I'm not. I'm not I've I've. I revisited it once. Uh, I wasn't on the episode, so I revisited it when I was in college, I believe. And then uh, Drawing of the Three, I'm not even a huge fan of. Like, there are parts of it I really like, uh, but, you know, it doesn't really click for me. I remember it really, really working, coming together for me during The Wastelands. And then Wizard and Glass, to me, is a book that I have long said is my favorite King book of all time. I'm reserving that, you know, I'm kind of putting that opinion on the back burner until we finish this kind of grand experiment of this podcast. And I read everything. But, you know, when we did the book episode last year, it was a five noser for me. I mean, I I adore that book. It's still one of my favorites. And so um, I don't know, like, I think it it makes total sense for you to check out of it. It, But I will say the one part of it that actually did click for me was talking about the mystique, uh, taking Mm -hmm. the mystique out of these uh, creatures. I think that there is some truth to that, because I think that it's not just the creatures from the mist, there are a lot of different um, characters. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't say anything, but there are a lot of characters who uh, from other King books who do appear in the dark tower and they're treated with such a definitive kind of um, approach where 
a lot of their fates were left rather mysterious. And then once they enter into the Dark Tower narrative, they are giving very clear endings. And I think that there is a mystique that is killed with that choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why the last Dark Tower book specifically is very disappointing for a lot of people because I think um, there are clear answers and clear fates that are executed in that book that almost diminish the power of previous King works. Um, and I think sometimes, and you know, King, the, his ending, I don't want to say too much, but there is a choice that the reader has as they approach the end of the Dark Tower. And I think that mm-hmm. is King almost acknowledging, like, this isn't going to be perfect. Endings are, are rarely perfect. Like, sometimes it is better to just leave characters in a state of, of uh, ambiguity and mystery. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, I don't know. So, I think the mystique thing is what really stands out to me as kind of truthful about The Dark Tower, because that's something I'm reckoning with now in these last three books, is so much is starting to be explained. And whether mm-hmm. that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's kind of, a um, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B. So, that's all yeah. I'll say about that. Let's see. My Dark Tower hot take is that I love, love, love the ending of it. And I know mm. that it was a lot of people do not and did not when it came out, you know. But yeah, I but for the reason that you just said, I love and I don't want to spoil it. I'm I'm going to love when we don't have to worry about spoiling it anymore, too. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> coming soon. Uh, I think for this next hot take though, I don't think we can talk <laughs> about it because we can't spoil it either. So Hayden Claiborne, I'm just going to take this one real quick. Hayden Claiborne says, Duma Key is King's best book of the 21st century. Now, we're going to get to Duma Key next summer. And we need to keep this hot take in mind. But I know for a fact that this is a hot take because... It is, yeah. The best book of the 21st century. That's including a lot of books that we haven't discussed in this podcast yet. (laughs) Specifically, (laughs) Mm -hmm. 112263, which is... It's just... uh, Elevation, the outside, yeah, elevation, <laughs> and, and you know, sleeping I say, I'm, a, I'm a Duma Key fan. I'm a Duma I am too. I love yeah. the beginning of it too. And but I'm let's really hold, excited to revisit it. Yeah, yeah. That that is a good plug for next year. Yeah. Um, but I will say, let just this is certainly a hot take, yeah. and I, I think it's a good way for us to kind of foreshadow next year because I think we're going to be going to a, going through a lot of the books that are uh, we've been waiting for since we first started this podcast. And certainly Duma Key is one of them. Um, Can I counter this hot take? The Duma Key? My hot take is that the gingerbread girl is a better Duma Key than Duma Key. Oh, well, interesting. I wonder, are we going to get to gingerbread girl next year? Yeah, that's just after sunset. So that's uh, (sighs) around the same time. We might actually, I think that might be in, I don't know. We'll have to look. I know we sketched out the the calendar a couple weeks ago, but um, I'll say though, I see a lot of Duma Key. I think among King fans, there's a lot of Duma Key love because I think that book, I think that book was kind of sniffed at when it came out. I don't think it was Mm -hmm. particularly successful. It hasn't been adapted. Um, Not a lot of people know about it. And I feel like, I feel like, uh, especially in the wake of perhaps the Hodges trilogy and, um, you know, perhaps some of the crime books that he's written, I do think that maybe people are looking back on a book like Duma Key with uh, a warmer uh, approach than they did previously because they're like, yeah. well, I would rather have another Duma Key than another Mr. Mercedes. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Yep. Ashley. Yes. Take, take a, not Stephen King, but a Steve Ringman. Steve Ringman. Uh, his hot take. This is hachi machi. This is a. <laughs> this is so hot that I'm like getting nauseous. I know. Roadwork is the best Bachman book and probably King's most underrated work. It's a dark depiction of how unchecked grief and depression can alienate us even from the ones we love. I mean, K- 
King would agree with him because King, yeah, King says, loves road work. King loves road, road work. And I, this is the first book that I literally hopped off of. I was set to be on this episode. I might've even been set to, to host the episode. And I got, I think 40% through. And I remember walking on the way to the office. It was hot outside. Speaking of hot. And I said, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I just texted the thread and I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. This is the first book I'm off. I know that I've I've read every book up to this point. I'm not doing it. I've, I've, I've tried. I've read the, 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 this chapter six fucking times. He's in a goddamn warehouse or something (laughs) looking at people. And I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I'm going to start working on Cujo. See ya. And then I I, kind of want to revisit. I kind of want to revisit road work because it's, it's notorious on this podcast for being our least favorite, uh, aside yeah. from Rage, probably. Um, I'd still rather be Rage than that. I would rather be Rage than that, yeah. <laughs> and it is, uh, but, you know, when I wasn't on the episode and I didn't reread it, I read it when I was young. Um, and I don't know, like calling it, an, a, you know, an exploration of unchecked grief and depression and uh, alien, leading to alienation. I think those are interesting themes to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't doubt that that is what that story is about. I am curious if it would resonate with me more as being a little bit older now, you know, because uh, that is really a book I think about, um, you know, that is about, um, you know, a guy who is closer in age to me now than it was when I first read it. So I don't know. I mean, I might give it another shot, go in, uh, you know. Go in um, open-minded, and uh, thanks to Steve's recommendation here. So, well, um, so maybe yeah. we'll have a chance to revisit it whenever that uh, uh, Andy Muschietti produced adaptation is going to oh, yeah. uh, come to fruition. I haven't heard about that uh, in a minute. I got man. so much hate though. Um, I was working in media at the time, and I wrote a headline that was like, uh, "You know, it director to adapt one of Stephen King's worst books." <laughs> <laughs> and people were so so that book has its defenders because I got yelled at quite a yeah. lot for that. So yeah, uh, it was probably Andy Muschietti in the comments being like, "It's actually a really good story." <laughs> actually, it's right. really good. <laughs> I was on your podcast twice, and you're fucking me over. Actually, uh, it's a dark um, depiction of unchecked grief and depression. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, it was Steve Ringman that was yeah. uh, messaging you and leading the way. Um, hey, Steve, it's all good. I totally understand. Any other uh, thoughts on Road Work, or can we uh, go to the next uh, street? Let's do the next. It's, yeah. Uh, it's not got, that well, it's we, bad. It's that the execution is not good. Yeah. The story is good. And I think the issue is that he's just going to do this better later on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, all right. Let's go to John W.M. Thompson. Oh, man. Why do I always get the long ones? Um, <laughs> all right. I think King's you want work. Me to read it? I, honestly, this feels like more in your will. I mean, honestly, this is something that both of us have been obsessed with over the last couple of years, but I think it would be good if you if you go for oh, this. Oh, I one. actually like this one. It, it, I, I do too. No, no, I, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. Okay, like, these are, jo- this is something that we, I think me and you ham, like hit on all the time. So, yeah. Uh, John W.M. Thompson uh, says, I think King's work has contributed, if unintentionally, to the broadly regressive and reactionary tendency of American readers to embrace sentimentality and demand happy endings in fiction, which has led to the broader marginalization of horror fiction that doesn't do those things. To be fair, it's a sort of chicken and egg problem. Does King's sentimentality inform popular demand or is popular demand for sentimentality part of why King became so accessible and popular? I think it's a little bit of both. 
I also uh, think this need on King's part to satisfy sentimental readers is part and parcel of why he has a reputation for missing his landings. The best endings to his books, uh, Pet Cemetery, Revival, are ones where he allows himself to uh, drift towards tragedy that horror naturally lends itself to. And his worst, regulators that ending is bad, are the cruel and chaotic novels that turn hard into empty uplift. I think that's very true. Um, I would say that's true of Buick 8 as well. Um, not for nothing that his, in my opinion, very best, Pet Cemetery has an ending he all but disowns. It's also why Mike Flanagan, maybe the only guy in horror more sentimental than King, is such an effective <laughs> collaborator. I think that's a really mm. smart observation. It's on, s- incredibly yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's... I, I think that there's... Um, uh, this makes it sound to some degree as if King is catering to, I think, uh, sentiment. I... Uh, uh, in culture of wanting more sentimentality, which I don't necessarily agree with there. Right. I, I, don't think I think he King is. does. No. I think King is pretty resistant to um, catering to his audience. I, I mean, I say that like, I don't know, half heartedly only because I think there is a lot of quote unquote fan service in the latter Dark Tower, Tower novels and even in some of his later, more recent works where. He kind of loves to reference his other works in these later books, even when it's a little bit, maybe a little bit forced, um, because I do think he is perhaps embracing the multiversal, uh, you know, culture that we live in now the, that enjoys that sort of thing. But I will say, at least in the earlier works, um, I don't think that he was ever writing happy endings to uh, appease the populace. Um, But I will say that I agree in a lot of ways that his sentimentality has at times been uh, undone or or been detrimental to otherwise great novels. I remember when we were talking about from a Buick 8, we almost like ignored the epilogue because it it, because it almost tacked on a happy ending to. And we all said like it would have been stronger without that epilogue because the ending mm-hmm. before that was very sad and very gutting. And there is something uplifting and sweet about the um, epilogue, but we didn't need that. And the book didn't earn that. And um, it reminds me of the the ending of The Shining that is uh, – wait, is that deleted or is it in the book where Holleran, Wendy, and Danny are together – no, like that's fishing, that's in the book. Fishing. Yeah. Okay, that's that book. is in the book. Mm-hmm. See, that's a scene that I don't think we need, right? We don't. And so, uh, so I guess it goes back even to The Shining. But I mean, um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that this is. I don't know, and that I will say, like he says, King's work has contributed to the broadly regressive and reactionary tendency of American readers. Like, and I think he's speaking to how popular King is and the fact that mm-hmm. he does have that kind of influence. Um, but I don't know. Like, I think it is uh, it's not something that I think you can just say yes or no about. But I do think that um, I do think that a lot of King novels perhaps have like I think about something like Needful Things, too, where the ending or what's the there's another example that's right on the tip of my tongue where there is like so much to do to create a happy ending that doesn't feel organic. Like well, all no, this that's shit exactly. needs to happen, right? That is, that gets a little gobbledygooky, you know? Well, he's best when he kind of leans on the more Hemingway-esque tendencies, which is just kind of let the image speak for itself. And mm-hmm. I think about just, we, when we were at the location for Pet Cemetery, um, outside of Bangor, I, I was thinking about the actual ending in the book. Of how just the neighbors seeing Lewis go over the uh, the the deadfall, and that's that. 
And like, it's that's perfect, such a haunting, yeah. it's such a fucking haunting image. And not to be, and to be fair, like they come up with a great haunting image at the ending of the, 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 the film version also, which is, this is fantastic. Um, but you know, and, and that's why I, I agree with John here. And that, that I do think that like Pet Cemetery has, you know, one of his best endings because of it, how bleak it is, how, how he's able to kind of lean into the tragedy, because that's the stuff that traditionally his books are going to earn like that, that ending is what his books are going to earn. So I do think that, you know, the, he does pull muscles in trying to find that happy ending. Although when he does find the happy ending, it's fucking great. But although the first example I'm thinking of is 11, it's not even a happy ending, but it's a, it's a, it's a, an ending that puts a smile on your face and we're not going to spoil it because we haven't gotten to it yet. We won't get there for a year. Well, let's call it bittersweet. Right? It's a bittersweet. Yeah. And then even that though, it wasn't even his cause it's, it, you know, Joe Hill helped him uh, find the ending for that. So I, I just, I don't know. I do think that he's always better when he kind of just leaves you with an image that's going to haunt you for the rest of your yeah. life. And that's kind of what I've always gotten at. I mean, that's what our, 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 our archives episodes, like there's not, I feel like there's rarely an archives episode that we do. Again, it's a, a special feature on our uh, www.patreon.com slash the Barons. You can go there and find uh, mm-hmm. all our archives episodes, which we discuss all his uncollected works in those discussions. I traditionally bemoan, the fact that I missed that ing, not even just angry king, but a king that, that that's going to not only just punch you, but watch you bleed. And mm-hmm. I just don't know if we, we really get that. We rarely get that. And he mentions revival, which is why I'm so excited to get to that fucking book because I want that mean king again. Um, but at the same time, I do like uh, I do like Happy King. You know, there's there's some there's some endings that I just have fucking been crumbling into tears. But um, I think this is a really cool take, and I think this gets to a lot of the reasons that uh, I think we'll continue to be discussing on this podcast for a while. Yeah. But um, yeah, I do think that when he mentions like the regulators, but I think you can throw a desperation in there too. Um, there are these books that really drag you through the mud, and it's almost as if he feels a kind of. Uh, obligation to Dust leave you, you off. not feeling like total shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be like, like yeah, get up. Yeah. And you know, there is something like I'll say, I remember reading Scott Smith's uh, simple plan and the ruins. And those oh, are books Jesus that gosh. both end. <laughs> yeah. They're just, it's despair. Like, and yeah. those are books that left me feeling like total shit, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I still think about them and great I love endings. them and yeah, great endings, but they're so fucking sad. And like, um, you know, Nick Cutter is very similar. Uh, you know, the troop and the deep both have really, really evocative and, uh, melancholy endings that really haunt. And so I do agree though, that there is this, um, uh, I don't know, persistent, uh, almost annoying sense of, of, um, Uplift, I think, is a very good word that exists in a lot of horror. And, and Mike Flanagan's a good example. He made, he's made a lot of great movies, but you know, I think that's something that we've increasingly started to, um, I don't know, grow weary of. At least Mike and I is uh, just this res- relentless need to celebrate the human spirit. Yeah. And sometimes in horror, I don't want to celebrate the human spirit. Yeah, I want to celebrate do break human nightmares. The human yeah. spirit, and you have to show <laughs> yeah. that some t- some things you can't come back from. And I think that yeah. maybe the there's you like, know, yeah. uh, you know, there's a sense of like, leave them wanting more. But when you put a mm-hmm. bow on yeah. it and you wrap it all nice, there's nothing more to it. And so you're kind of left mm-hmm. with like, well, that's over. As opposed to like, mm-hmm. ooh, I wish, like, I remember the first time I read The Mist, I didn't know that it was a short story. I thought that 
it, the whole book was the mist. Oh, so when nice. all of a sudden yeah. they were talking, it, the next story is about like a haunted doll, the radio. I think. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, what does this have to do with <laughs> what's going on? Where are we now? And, uh, but yeah, like that ending to me, the, the very ambiguous, like, I, I don't know what happened. Like I can kind of, uh, I can imagine what happened. It wasn't good, but I don't know. And like, that's something that I will never forget. I will always think about that ending. Um, Whereas the endings where it's like, and they all lived happily ever after. It's like, all right, well, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, it's like the Schrodinger's cat thing, right? Where, you know, if it's better to not look in the box, (laughs) like I don't want the answer. Yeah, I want to well, keep debating about it in my head, like exactly what you're saying. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's true. It's it, and, some and people that's kind of how it is that, with though. all endings for me. Some people I know, hate but it. I don't. I don't, I don't get, get it. it. <laughs> it's just I guess people are wired differently. Yeah. You know, that's that's just the thing. Yeah, and you know, I think this. I think what the hot take essentially is, and this is it's. I think this is a, a really spicy take because there really isn't. Um, I can't counter this notion um, without doing a lot of research. Yeah. But but I mean, you know, what John is doing here is really tying, um, you know, kind of, I think a lot of the criticisms of King endings to larger trends within fiction, horror fiction specifically, and even film, um, to, you know, horror as being less cruel and perhaps more uplifting, which is, uh, you know, I think something that people are bucking against a little bit, at least in modern horror, um, yeah. Well, that's why Terrifier Two is 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 trending so big. I feel like because everyone, yeah, honestly, that. they're like they're like, whoa, why is it so depraved? And it's like, are you kidding me? Look at the fucking genre. Like it's built. Yeah. It was built on this. It was built on depravity. You know, it was yeah. built on making you wrench and and squirm and. You and know, bad taste, sleep. honestly. Yeah, honestly. And, and that's the stuff King was raised on, too. Yeah. And I think that is part of his success is that he was able to merge so much humanity mm-hmm. and sentimentality into stuff that is grotesque. And that yeah. is why we love him, like, yes. to be clear. It is part of why we love him. But I think what John's getting at is that, you know, has that tendency in King's work um, gone you know, too far? Contributed. It's <laughs> to quote Billy Crystal, <laughs> you've gone too far. Uh, but no, it's uh, has, has it contributed to a larger trend that is um, perhaps trending downwards, uh, at least, you know, in terms of execution. So I don't know. I think it's a, it's an interesting question to, to linger on and think about. And it speaks, I think, to a lot of hand wringing over a lot of modern horror, some of which has been done by Mike and I and, and um, you know, elsewhere. So Jen. I don't know. Jen, you're you're uh, you had some thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, as the resident Flanagan defender, like I think that com- the comparison between Flanagan and King is very interesting because I find King sentimental and I find Flanagan saccharine, and I think there's a difference between the two. Like I, when I watch. Flanagan stuff, I get the feeling that he does not want to hurt his characters. And when I read King, I feel like he doesn't want to say goodbye to his characters. Mm. And that's why it kind of stretches out. Because when I think about some of the endings of his books, like really the two he named Revival and Pet Cemetery, it's not that they're like downers or or like bad endings, it's that they're nihilist. You know, they're yeah, they're yeah. really nihilistic endings. And like I think about the ending of Rose Matter. I think about the ending of Cujo, like even the ending of Misery 
Like they've gotten out of these situations, but I think what King is really good at, and The Shining too, is showing that these horrors, like we have survived, but we haven't really survived because these horrors still live within Mm -hmm. us. And I think that's what I really like with when the endings kind of stretch out, you know, but I think another reason that I love his short stories so much is that he just cuts it off. Yeah, yeah that's he where he'll, he'll get nasty. Yeah. I love that you exactly. brought up Rose Matter. I think that's a great example of um, of an um, uplifting ending that is also colored by a lot of, you know, um, enduring grief and tragedy and scars right. and scarring. Mm-hmm. And um, But that is, you know, one where I think that works extremely well. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I love that that comparison. They just want to say bye to them. And, um, and you know, the, the nihilism aspect I think is, is really interesting. We talked about that in our Buick 8 episode as well, because there is a nihilistic undercurrent to that book. And I think it, because I, I think in the end, King you know, and this is why he hates the Kubrick's shining so much, right? It's like mm-hmm. he really does believe in in humanity and in yeah. the goodness yeah. that exists within people. I think that is um, you know, maybe a kind of really dogged uh uh you know, thing that he wants to represent in his work and something that has probably, you know, has probably been important to him as he's grappled with his, uh, you know, sobriety and stuff like that is, is finding the best in people. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think that does persist through a lot of his work and it, it can be really lovely. I think at times though, and I think that's the thing is sometimes it does perhaps in our opinion, undercut the stories. Um, because sometimes we want them to just get a little meaner and, mm-hmm. um, well, like you said too, know, like interesting, it. Yeah. You have to mm-hmm. you have yeah. to earn your ending, no matter what the ending is. Like it, it has to be earned, especially if it's a mm-hmm. long novel, and you've put us through the ringer. Perhaps you have to earn your your ending. You have to earn it. And yeah. it's and I think regulators huge, is such a great example. Yeah. yeah. Regulators oh, yeah. is such a good example of of a happy ending tacked on to the nastiest fucking story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, because I remember reading the child's yeah. drawing of stick figures with smiles <laughs> on their faces, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. So uh, <laughs> I, I share I share my sentiments with uh, Daniel Plainview. Uh, look, Daniel is a is certainly a, a name that you'd find in the Bible, and, and another name that you'd find <laughs> oh, in the Bible man. is Luke. Wow, I'm loving these. Sentences. Luke. So I'm I'm going to read this one. Uh, I'll, I'll actually. Um, Ashley, you take this one. Go for it. The Outsider is the best crime story and best horror story King has ever written. I love... Truly scalding. Love (laughs) The Outsider. So even though I voted this as a hot take, it's mostly because I know that I'm in the minority. (laughs) Well... (laughs) It's the hot, the it's the latter notion, right? It is the that, best that makes story it the, ever. It's written. the the best horror story King has ever written. Like it's I, a to hard quote sell. Larry Miller and Waiting for Guffman, uh, what's wrong with yeah. you? Like you know, I, I, I just that is insane. That is that's that is what, crazy. That's what I want from these episodes, though. I yeah. do a truly more. scalding take. Uh, it is. Luke. I give you all the credit in the world for this. I, I think we're all outsider. And Mike, have you read Outside? I read it. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't like the ending much because I think that, I think ultimately King doesn't really know what to do with this monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because when you read If It Bleeds, he kind of has the same thing where it just, 
it kind of just deflates in the ending. Mm-hmm. It's like the good guy has already run before the the final climactic battle. Like you know, it's just gonna it's just gonna kind of lead to a, oh, a triumphant you know here where it's like I feel like if he had written the outsider in like you know eighty one seventy eight you're going to get a little bit more like the, the type of nihilistic ending we were just discussing. And I wanted that from the yeah. outsider. I wanted something that's a little bleaker. I wanted the, this creature, this design that is so timeless, that is pretty much permeated our culture. It's very primal. That just feels so like a wet fart at the end. Like when you finally <laughs> yeah, get to this point. Are, are the, one of the scariest things in the world mm-hmm. to me. And yeah. I think that the first half specifically of the, especially the first, like, you know, third mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is excellent. Yeah. And yeah. I, I yeah. do like overall, I still, I'm an outsider fan and I like the TV series. I love, love the well. TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think that, um, so I'm like, Kidro, I need yeah, to <laughs> I was right about to say it. Uh-huh. I can yeah. kill that kid, Ralph. Um, so kid, Ralph. you got to add the audio clip in. I know, um, I know. Okay. But anyways, I, I think that for me, though, it's still mid-tier king. I, mm-hmm. I can't go. I, I think it might. I mean, best crime story is arguable. Um, yeah, I think, I would agree I think it is. a procedural yeah. um, in the sense yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those. So many departments yeah, those scenes are, are working together because ralph yeah. is such a better character I, I i feel like ralph is an improvement on hodges uh, oh, oh yeah. much. based yeah. on you know if you're talking about oh a person um you know to 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 pair with holly gibney i think the two of them working together in tandem and especially on screen is just phenomenal like mm-hmm. I, I i that's why i, I would have welcomed another follow-up um but uh yeah i don't know i i, I the the horror element of it it just falls apart. It just falls apart. Well, yeah, I, I can't. I can't go there in the last. The part. scariest thing, like conceptually, I could see an argument for the scariest thing because, like, I know that I'm not living in a haunted hotel. I know mm-hmm. that there's not yeah. a clown in the sewer. But the fact that I could be framed for a crime and yes. yeah. my life is one of over, the most that is depraved crimes I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Right, and so also even. Just- yeah, yeah. Killing even children. if you yeah. right, like you're forever tainted with being accused of this crime, even if you get eventually let mm-hmm. off. So I think that I just don't know if I think the execution of the book in its entirety warrants me agreeing with that yeah. take. But yeah, yeah. You know. well, bold take though. Bold. You thought it that is a bold was bold. Take. Hot, hot. You thought Ooh. that was scalding. You thought that we were all going to get third degree burns. Well, get ready. <laughs> You're going to need the bandages. <laughs> you're going to need the Epsom salts. You're going to need the ice packs. You're going to need everything in your pantry and your bathroom to get ready for this one. Randall, I'll read, read the, final, the final take. Dave Mussen, friend of the pod, constant listener. We love you, Dave, but I also hate you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> former friend of the pod. Former no, we're friend kidding, of, Dave. Of, of Rock and Randall. Oh, we uh, love you, Dave. <laughs> Wizard and Glass is the worst Dark Tower book, dull, overlong, self-indulgent, and does nothing but underline what a dickhead Roland is and always has been. 800-odd pages of backstory, of which about 700 could be deleted with no detrimental effect on the overall Tower saga. I'll say this. First image I had, because uh, Jen wrote in the doc that she agrees, um, and I I was thinking about the scene in Billy Madison yeah. where, they're, where they're cooking, and 
Eric is on fire and Billy's yeah. laughing at him. That's me. I'm on fire and Jen is laughing at me. Um, it's funny. And- I had that same image. <laughs> I, I thought I, for a second there, I thought you were going to say that you're a Buscemi and that you're going to turn around and you're <laughs> and you're going to write oh, Jen yeah. and Dave's name yeah, on I'd your be list. Writing their names and not um, them out. But no, yeah. I um I got I all I I guess well on the Sandler beat all I can do is just the gif of Adam Sandler and uncut gems. I disagree. That's <laughs> all yeah. I can do. He really is. I mean, there's not much to digress on. I mean, go listen to our four hour episode on Wizard and Glass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's what I'll say. Uh, because I'm not a huge Dark Tower defender, but I do love this book. The thing that I, I really disagree on for the most part, because you can, you know, look, you can argue that it's dull and overlong because it's a tangent from everything that all the action that we're getting with the Wastelands and the Wastelands is a propulsive book. Okay, fine. But to say that it underlines what a dickhead Roland is and always has been and how it has no detrimental effect I mean, it, the, 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 I don't know. I, I just don't know how you can argue that because A, it gives Roland the humanity that he severely lacks in the first three books. And then B, knowing that humanity has all the effect on everything that takes place afterwards because it almost gives you the engine for why he's chasing the man in black, why he's doing this more, even though, you know, really he had the reason to be chasing him before that. But it really gives you the reason and the stakes and all that. So I, I don't know. I, for me, Midworld didn't really have the weight that it had until I read Wizard and Glass. So that's my argument against it. But um, yeah, for me, it, it also just has, this is all I'll say, uh, aside from I disagree, is <laughs> it has some of the best, for me, it has some of the best villains in the entire King Kong, yeah. uh, from the big coffin hunters, specifically Jonas. Uh, to um, Rhea of the Coos, who is to me one of the scariest characters he's ever written. So I'm just a huge, huge fan of that book. And again, you know, I think it's a good way to kind of tie the knot. The, this is a bit of a circle is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always ready and willing to admit that this book I will always have a nostalgic affection for because it, it, it came to me at one of the most pivotal times in my life and it was a source of comfort. So I'll always love it for that reason. Um so, you know, obviously, uh, very much respect your take, but it's like, I just, uh, this book will, is in the same way that I think cer- certain books for you, Jen, uh, have, have become in some ways like, uh, intertwined with your, with your heartstrings, you know, it's like, right. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to look at them intellectually because you have such yeah. a deep connection to them. I very much have that with this story. So it's, um, mm-hmm. so for me, very scalding, uh, and I am burnt to a crisp, <laughs> Uh, like, yeah, much like Colin Crisp in Kindergarten Cop. So, oh, Crisp. <laughs> well, well okay, honestly, there's there is a fire in that movie because the there the, is you know, the yeah. school. You know, there's the whole uh, they all have to evacuate in the library. Um, yeah, ferrets. We thought it was uh, just a drill. <laughs> um, here's Jason, what I'll Jason say about this text. <laughs> before, oh, that's right. Um, before I joined this pod. Three of the books that I would have in my bottom 10 of Stephen King are this book and From a Buick 8 and The Dead Zone. I did not like any of those. I know. I just killed Mike. And My favorite and, book by King. Dead I Zone? Know, the Dead I, Zone? Are you nuts? <laughs> but here's the thing. Hearing you guys talk about this and how, you, how much you love it and why you love it, like I really think I just need to go back 
and listen, like I'm willing to give them another chance, you know, because it could just be that like I wasn't connecting with it and I kind of skimmed, you know, and I don't yeah. remember everything that happened. Like I don't, I think I was just mad at From a Bouquet because it wasn't what I wanted it to be, you mm, know. Yeah. So now that I could go back and just read it with a, you know, fresh, and I don't open know. mind. So, yeah. An open mind, yeah. Well, and Bill I Gates mean, got I a do, lot of problems. It's just, it's just, it's just super interesting. You know, yeah. right. Well, and I, I think I wanted Christine, you know, yeah. and it's not Christine, but I will say, I love hearing you guys like Mike, I love hearing you talk about the dead zone and how much you love that book. And it makes me want to go back and find what I miss, what I didn't connect with, you know? So, well, we'll, we'll probably have that chance one day because I, yeah. we're still kicking around the idea of doing twinner episodes, Twitter episodes. Uh, <laughs> which no, I got you know, some thoughts on these earlier. This but. will be fun. Um, <laughs> Any other thoughts on Wizard and Glass? No? I haven't read it. You right. know that well, about me. S- Here's the thing. <laughs> what I, was the um, Sisters of Illuria? Sisters of Illuria. Yeah. Illuria. Yes. Do you know how long it took me to read? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get ready. Get ready years. for That's the Dark Tower it. then. Yeah. <laughs> it won't happen. It's, it's never going to happen. happen. And I know that about myself. No. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> it took, it's good. It's it good took, to know that. It, yeah. it took me nine months, hashtag Hugh Grant, hashtag Julian Moore, for me to finish <laughs> the, the, the Gunslinger. It took me so fucking long to read that book. And Isn't by Tom Arnold in that movie too? Uh, no, I think that's Carpool. Um <laughs> Huh. No, no, what? I think I, I think Tom Arnold is in that. Tom Arnold is a rival yeah. dad. Yeah, I think so. Um, anyway, yeah, it's just not going to happen, Ashley. Because I, 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 honestly, it's so fucking hard uh, to get through some of those sections, especially hey. if if that was it happened with Sisters of Illyria. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it's it's a lot of that yeah. for sure. And the you know the what, the audio book keeps going whether or not you're paying attention. That so is true. You That's get true. Through it. That's yeah. the benefit of audio books. Yeah. Well, um, I have an update before we wrap up. <gasps> oh, Uh-oh. Congo still available <laughs> on Walmart.com. What? 1995 Congo, the movie Monroe spelled wrong. I still remember that. It's M U N R O. They spelled it M O N R O E action figure. Oh, capture claw Kenner. This is Ernie Hudson's character from Congo. It is still available on walmart.com for $24 and they still have Are you fucking kidding me? They didn't sell them back uh, yeah, then. I'm, they didn't they sell, sell them. Here, I'm sending, it to, the, I'm sending it to the Zoom chat. Yeah. Uh, all right. So in addition to the watches, I had the Congo action figures. And I remember my dad, when we were at the checkout aisle and, um, and uh, Toys R Us, he's looking at him being like, does this movie really have that longevity? And I, and I was just like, I was like, dad, the movie's awesome. <laughs> and then a <laughs> month later, those action figures became like, characters for when we were playing Jurassic Park toys like that yeah, that's how yeah. bad it was like all right well you know maybe mm-hmm. the, Amy can battle like the Dilophosaurus or something um, um that now the website is asking me if I'm robot or human because they can't believe a human being is, <laughs> is looking at this 20, yeah. 2020 would be funny if they were asking if you were a gorilla or human <laughs> <laughs> with with you know how they have like those uh those images that you have to correct like oh you know hit the square mm. for every time you see a road or a highway or something like that right. if there was this like hit the square every time you see an ape and one of the images is just like Amy for like sitting on the airplane <laughs> in oh. Congo I was say, what if it's like, like Hit hit all the images that are from the movie Congo, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or like any that, <laughs> that have a fan. banana in it. Yeah, 
<laughs> oh man, look, this is fun. I, you know, yeah. as a, this is. A, I think. I think we need to do more fire starters in the future. I think. Yes. Uh, you think this is good? You think this is a recurring feature? You think we've we've warranted it enough? Definitely. Just oh, yeah. any opportunity to yell at listeners. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I'm kidding. Well, we love all of you, and thank you for sharing these hot takes. Well, you. It's time for us to share some hot takes if we have any. I don't. I prompted everyone early on to come up with some with at least one. Um, even if all, uh, even if only one emerged out of the four of us, um, I, did anyone have one? Did anyone I draw one? I don't know up? if this is a hot take or not, but I think that Christine is one of the best movie adaptations of Stephen King's work, and I think it belongs up there mm-hmm. with Stand by Me and Shawshank. Yep. Because I, I think it's a yeah, faithful I think it's an adaptation. Dream. I think with John Carpenter being involved, it's just a really, it's a total vibe. Um, I just mm-hmm. really think that it's it's one of the strongest adaptations, and I don't see it on the top of a lot of best Stephen King movie lists. I think it's a damn shame. Yeah. yeah. Did you stick around at the creep show for it? I stayed that as long night, as I could. Um, yeah. Joe yeah. did. My husband fell asleep next to me because he was very tired. Because <laughs> that was the midnight It's a very showing. dreamy movie, too, yeah. though. <laughs> so it was yeah. like yeah, one in the morning, and I was yeah. like, do you want to go home? Um, <laughs> Seeing it on the big screen awesome. just felt different, yeah. too. That was awesome. Yeah, was well, that was... Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned Christine, because my, my hot take that I came up with is that I think that the, the, the Christine movie is, like leagues ahead of the book um and i and i i just think it's a it's a better executed um thematic discussion whatever you want to say uh encapsulation of the story that king was trying to get with there because i think as we discussed in the book episode um we really had issues with how it's told because it shifts point of views and at one point arnie is telling the story and then it goes into dennis and it just kind of feels a little disjointed um at some point so that that would be a building on yours that yeah. christine being the better the movie being better than the book i think that's one of the, the instances here um any other I thoughts like I've, i feel like i've said this on the pod before but i always i i know i've said it on the pod before so forgive me but i like the kids section in the stand you Oof. like that happy crappy Oh man, that is. Oh, rough. the kids section. I like, the kids oh yeah, I can't. I don't know if I can go there. With yeah, that's a, I think you're alone that's in that one, buddy. That's I a like hot the take. tunnel part, but I don't. Yeah, I like that it's the kid that gets devoured by wolves. You know? that was yeah, fun. I like that part. Yeah. yeah, that was a good addition. Jen, um, you got one? Yeah. Well, Other than to. Wizard and Glass being one of the worst books. <laughs> oh, no, I've, I've got two. Okay, my first one is that the first 30 minutes of the new Firestarter are the best Stephen King adaptation in the last three years. The first 30 Ooh. minutes The first Ruled. 30 minutes. Yes. It was so good. I was like crying. Yes. And my other one is that my favorite or the best adaptation of The Shining is the Simpsons Treehouse of Terror segment. Whoa. I mean, I love that segment. It's definitely the, it's it's definitely a contender for one of the best Simpsons segments in the Tree Horse of Horror canon. Um I don't know. I just love that shining movie. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> but, say I, know. I was gonna say Stephen King's worst book of the nineties is Bag of Bones, but then I remember that regulators came out, so I can't say <laughs> uh, it. I yeah. guess it's a Richard Bachman book, so I guess I could still say that. Yeah. I guess that's works. a bit of a hot take because a lot of I just um, a lot of people hate Rose Matter and I think Rose Matter is much better than Bag of Bones, so 
I agree. Yeah, I was, t- I was trying to think something about the 80s. And I don't, I guess I really, I think this Christine is the only one. Because I remember we got in a lot of flack for when <laughs> we were, because we're pretty critical of that, that novel. Um, and yeah, I if I was all, on that up, I would have been, I would have been a, a, a supportive voice. But I think by that point, I, I was, uh, needed a break. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we need a break too, because it's time to go. <laughs> And uh, I think we're going to have more of these. I think that we're going to have, I think this is a fun feature to add to the mix. Um, because look, it's never a dull moment when a hot take is around. So uh, I'm going to say it right now, look for more Firestarter episodes in the future. And think um, of more hot takes. Yeah. Definitely think of more hot takes. And if you I mean, want to share them, become a member of the Barons, www.patreon.com slash the Barons and Overlook patron, which by the way, become an Overlook patron. That's how you get all the access to the every all the content. I'm talking about the full the full enchilada hashtag elevation. <laughs> um, extra and, hot uh, sauce. and honestly, it, extra yeah, hot sauce exactly. on that volcanic uh, mm-hmm. uh, enchiladas. Um, but look, the good news is, you know, well, look, bad news is probably not going to have a Firestarter episode for at least in I don't know, probably another year. I, I imagine maybe six months. We'll go six months. But the good news is is that you're going to have a new episode in a week. And it's our long watch in the mist. And a week after that, we get a book episode on Song of Susanna. So if I hear one more fucking comment <laughs> about how we haven't done book episodes, we have been doing so many we goddamn book, book episodes. episodes every month. We do book episodes all the time. Yeah, these are we're long giving you fucking th- books, guys. Th- th- these are long fucking books. <laughs> and we're all having anxiety attacks covering all this in three months. <laughs> and especially, especially the crew on here doing it, which is just God's work right now for, the, for, for us to close out the year. Um, but look... It, it, it you know I think it's a win win all together the the, the 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 weeks coming up so hashtag Paul Giamatti if you remember that movie um, <laughs> before we go though <laughs> John Adams you know win win oh, he was John in the movie Adams. no he was in the movie win win um, oh I saw that yeah before we go though let's do uh, let's do some fiery plugs Jen. What's going on at uh, Psychoanalysis in the next uh, uh, few weeks? Well, we just released an episode on self-harm in The Loved Ones, and I am putting the finishing touches on our episode on kink in Hellraiser, Ooh. which is so much fun. Really great episode. And then next week is going to be Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which nice. is also Ooh. really fun. So yeah, lots of fun stuff coming up. I haven't seen that in a while, actually. I um, hadn't seen it in years, so yeah. it was a fun revisit. Ashley, I imagine uh, something weird is coming our way from Keep It Weird. Totally. Um, our next project, we're doing a series on alchemy. Alchemy, alchemists, Ooh. Isaac Newton, um, uh, Thomas Norton. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Nice, nice. God, alchemy. I was just thinking about the other day. What the fuck was the thing I was watching that had to do with alchemy? It was a show... God damn it. It's going to drive me nuts for the next few, few, few hours. Um, anyway. When you think about I'll, it. Th- that's my problem. It's not your email problem. Email me. <laughs> I'll yeah. let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Randall, any other content I missed? That- uh, ne- we're doing a Needful Things commentary, which I think, uh, have we decided, are they doing the full version or just the theatrical cut? They're doing the f- theatrical <laughs> cut. Are we going to get a definitive answer about Dwarfgate? We know. might have to. We might have to. Well, no, but if you can find one, 
<laughs> out of what is available to you, then I would love a definitive answer to that. All right. Uh, but no, I think the Needful Things movie is maybe not uh, the best Stephen King adaptation, but I have a very, very strong feeling that our commentary track, which will be available to our patrons, is uh, going to be very, very funny because uh, there is a Man. lot to a lot to sort through. I with fucking that one love movie. that movie. Hot take. It's too. a great movie. <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. flick. It is a very interesting flick. Although they, uh, well, I won't say it. They'll just say that there's a change from the book. They didn't have the guts to do a very, very dark thing that happens in the Don't book in the movie. Don't you fucking hate uh, that? But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. There, the, we, we also have an interview with uh, the director, Fraser C. Heston, which is one of the most charming interviews I think we've yeah, ever done. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> so, it was like uh, us coming out of the pandemic, and it was like kind of a nice little way of like, oh, things are changing. Um, yeah, he was, was a very sweet man. So yeah, look forward to that in addition to everything else Mike said. Um, very excited to hear you guys talk about The Mist, because what a great film. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And we, uh, we, well, I'll just say it right now, we're going to be talking to Thomas Jane. He's coming back on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, recorded the interview a few weeks ago. It's a really fun one. And as always, uh, just, uh, it's unpredictable as always <laughs> with him. And, uh, so I had, I had a lot of fun, uh, lighting up with stogies. Him, so. He he did actually during the interview. It's like it wouldn't be Jane if uh, if there weren't some fire there. So uh, he's such a king. He love him so much. But um, look, that's all. We had a fun up. This is over two hours. We talked about five, we talked about hot takes for over two hours. So uh, I think we do pretty good. Uh, I think we're pretty good at what we do here. So why don't you rate us <laughs> on all the podcast <laughs> platforms? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ham Radio. Be sure to follow us on socials. Uh, it's usually at Losers Club Pod or the Losers Club Podcast. Just, just search Losers Club. You'll find it. Um, and then we'll be back next week with another adventure. Uh, but until then, we'll be seeing you over long days. And pleasant, and pleasant, pleasant nights. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>